That is the sound of a roaring log fire that I'm sitting next to as I record this intro. It's Matt. You're listening to Look Inside Always Action Sports podcast, and it's my Xmas festive Christmas special. Call it what you want, but it's happening. Thank you as ever for listening to and or downloading the show, particularly if you've done it on Christmas Day, which is uh, pretty much above and beyond the call of duty. If so, I really hope you enjoy it. Actually recording this intro from Normandy on December the 23rd, 2018. I've come here to a little village called saint clair sur a few miles from the coast, to spend Christmas with my wife and her family and our dog and a lovely red wine and cheese fueled convivial time of it we're having just back from a lovely long dog walk on Omaha Beach. Looking forward to a night in front of the fire and gone. There it is. And yet more red wine and cheese later, but not before I've ticked off the intro for this, my, like I say, drum roll Christmas special. Yes, this is a full mince pie and secret Santa themed two hour extravaganza with the great Tim Warwood and Adam Gendel, universally known as Tim and Gend. Now, I've been meaning to get the boys on the show for a while now, but as they're such big presences, and such regularly requested guests. I wanted to make sure I had a big enough platform for them. So when I had the idea, well, should I say, when I stole the idea of putting together a Christmas special this year, it seemed pretty obvious that I should get the boys on for a rambling, freewheeling riff on all things Christmas. So that's exactly what I did. I headed up to Birmingham at the beginning of December 2018. I stayed with Tim and his family. We hit the Christmas markets. I had my first mince pie and mulled wine of the season and we recorded this podcast. Now, naturally, as it's Christmas, we were armed with some secret Santa presents and a big old bag of Christmas-themed questions. But really, I had no other plan than to sit down with two of my best and oldest friends in snowboarding and see where the conversation went. If you're not familiar with Tim and Gandal, I think it's fair to say they've been two of the most influential and best-loved presences in UK snowboarding for about 15 years now, I'm going to say. And the extent of their quiet influence on the scene struck me recently, actually, when I was working on the Radical Gains book for Sam Mellish. I've actually seen copies of that book, by the way. And uh, yeah, make sure you check it out because it's turned out brilliantly. Anyway, one of my tasks while putting that project together was to edit a chapter written by Ed Lee. And in that, he made the point that through the run of films Tim and Gendel put together as lockdown projects, these two, more than anyone else, set the tone and epitomised the spirit of UK snowboarding that still holds true today. That's the theme that we cover during our conversation, actually, the unique nature of UK snowboarding. Just how do you bottle such a distinctive culture and identity? Well, during a peerless, sustained decade-long run of filmmaking, Tim and Gendel managed it producing a series of films that define the decade of UK snowboarding. And it's for this that they're most fondly remembered, because without going off on one too much, British snowboarding is a unique ecosystem. It's never been about the riding, for one. It's always been about celebrating the culture that we're lucky enough to have, ensuring that culture stays strong and can thrive and survive. Now, sure, good riding is important, obviously, and we have had individuals who've carried us onto the world platform and ensured that some of the more po-faced of our snowboarding brethren have given us the respect that we deserve but ultimately it comes down to something that Billy Morgan said to me during our interview earlier in the year we're just a bit Britsy aren't we we are Billy and it's important 
And Tim and Gend, more than anyone, have defined that Britsiness and given us something tangible to refer to and protect. They'll both be utterly cringing listening to that. But yeah, we did talk about it as well as their passion and love for snowboarding. But we also talked about where they are today, what they've been focusing on for the last few years, which is pursuing their post-snowboarding careers as presenters, directors and producers and DJs in Tim's case, and latterly focusing on their amazing quiz show concept, Famous First Words. If you've not been to a Famous First Words night, I really do implore you to go and check it out. It's the perfect vehicle for their talents and more than anything, it's just a brilliant idea, supremely well enacted. There's a reason people keep trying to nick that idea off him, after all. Now, as you might be able to tell from this intro, I love Tim and Gend. I've had some of the best times in my life with these boys, and I've watched on proudly as they've leapt from success to success over the years. Like all the best double acts, you always just feel like you're in completely safe hands in their company. And that's exactly how it was when we recorded this podcast episode 66, which is fitting, actually, because these two boys are the biggest England fans I know. And 66 is, of course, a special year for England fans. So, yeah, hope you enjoy this one. Episode 66 with Tim and Gandal. Christmas special. Enjoy and enjoy my special theme tune. See you in a bit. I am with Tim and Gandal. Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year of podcasts. Wow, that was... Did you rehearse that? Nope. Just just happens. Just, like that's that. how the magic happens. That's <laughs> yeah. it. Off yeah. the cuff. Yeah. How are you boys? Good. Yeah. Um... Absolutely fine. Who's Someone's got the phone? Oh, Who's? I mean, I oh, should it, know better as well. It is the media I? professional. God. Yeah. We're actually recording this in the studios of, sorry, Free Radio, Radio yeah. Free Birmingham. Free Radio Birmingham. Um, older listeners will probably know it as BRMB back in the day, which right. was the the kind of biggest, best, and greatest radio in the West Midlands. Actually, it was the UK's first ever commercial radio station outside of London. Right. Well, I've got to say, this is definitely the slickest podcasting arrangement I've ever had. <laughs> it's pretty Head- swanky. Headphones, soundproof yeah. studio. Yeah. Um, but cheers for coming on, boys. Should we have a mince pie? Given yes. that it's Given that it's Christmas. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, these. we've done Christmas treats. Oh, yeah. We well, should all... we do the Secret Santas? Okay. Yeah, let's do that. So we did forget about Secret Santa, um, but we quickly legged it around to Sainsbury's. And we spent a fiver each. I've bought you both a shot of Jägermeister. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> in, uh, in a commemorative uh, shot glass. Merry Christmas. So, kind of looks like an Old Spice packet. Yeah, it's a bit high karate in it. But, um, but there you go. Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. Hey. Yeah. I've bought you guys... Um, Magic Box's finest. Of course, they are the rage this Christmas. They're collectibles. It's what all the kids are after. And you each get a Super Zing. So these are little figurines and sweets combo in oh, one. thanks. Wow. There we go. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty wasted on me. But, no, um... I don't know what that is. <laughs> thanks. Feeling quite old all of a sudden. Uh, Gendal? I've gone savoury and sweet. I've gone for two things that are at every Gendal family Christmas. Right. Sweet first. After eight mints. I mean, classic. Um, I know what the other is. What? Okay, you can't see. It's Twiglets. It is Twiglets. <laughs> <laughs> Which is yeah. probably, 
It's probably the worst thing for a podcast. Ah, uh, don't worry about They're it. A bit crunchy. Yeah, it's fine. But, um, so is that is that a, an element of the traditional Gandalf family Christmas? Every year, guaranteed. Talk me through it. What 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 happens? What happens on Christmas Day in in the Gandalf's world? Um, what's different nowadays? I guess now we're older. Um, it's, it's standard stuff. Booze yeah. is involved. Booze Tell is you involved. that right now. Um, everyone, wait. everyone in Tamworth. The whole family? No, Christmas Day is, is generally close family, so mum and dad's sister and her husband James and me. And, yeah. Um, and then it's and then Boxing Day is like the bigger bigger rest of family. Yeah. So Christmas Day is a bit smaller. But um but yeah, Boxing Day is the big one. Like Timo's even crashed Boxing Day sometimes right. with his lot. Yeah. Um that that's kind of the big one. Yeah. And what about Traditions that you've got, you know, what what films are you watching every Christmas? Die Hard. Die Hard. Die, Die Hard is my is is, but that's not. I don't watch that on. I've already watched it this year. You've already gone uh, in. Yeah, I've already yeah. gone in. I made I made Camilla, my girlfriend, watch it because she'd never seen it. And never, she, never seen Die Hard. Never. Se- I couldn't believe it. Right. Uh, How did that go down? She wasn't that impressed. She was ill. <laughs> it was really. Ill. She it was, was ill. It was no. I've she got was just a thing. <laughs> no, that was a thing. I was like. She was she was being ill all day. She had a day off work and she was lying on the sofa and she was like, what should I watch? I could, oh, maybe a Christmas movie. And I went, have you seen Die Hard? And she went, no. And I was like, perfect, lie down there. And then she lay, <laughs> lay on the sofa and watched Die Hard. And I went in I had to keep working and then I came and checked on a few hours later. You didn't even watch it with her? I, well, I, I kind of did. I, yeah, watched, I was going to say, I watched, there's no way you worked if Die Hard was on the telly. No, I, was, I kind of half watched on the sofa and then I, had to, I was editing, so I had to go in the other room to edit. But I kept shouting quotes out. Is that one of those films that, like, if it comes on TV, you know, like, you, just, you might be, like, watching TV or whatever and you, you kind of, like, your heart, half an hour into Die Hard, you've got to watch it. Yeah. And you finish it. Yeah. you just you just like, right, I've got to watch that. Have you got any like that? Elf. Elf. As, are we talking Christmas movies? Well, or both, any movies? Really. You know, the film that if it's, if it's on, you've got to see it through. Back to the Future. Back to the Future. Yeah. Any of the Indiana Jones. Yeah, Razor Lost Ark's one of mine, yeah. actually. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go Temple of Doom, but Raiders of the Lost Ark, I'd, I'd definitely and have I'm, to watch. Even though I've watched l- them loads and all, it's the James Bond series. If it, there's a James Bond on, I start watching it. I'm in. You're gonna I'm watch for it. The long, yeah. And what, what's your Christmas go-to? Definitely Elf or yeah. a bit of Love Actually. Love Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm having that. No, Elf is Elf. It's Elf. Yeah. Us. Yeah. Okay. Love that movie. Right. You know, Back to the Future. They did a science. Uh, test on it and it's the most perfectly paced and length movie that's why you can never stop watching <laughs> according so, to science no, <laughs> those science people honestly and that's why it, the pace of that film is is perfect it's better than any other film if it's on it's like and it's finished You're like, it feels like it's half an hour long it's and amazing the mad thing about that as well is that Eric Stoltz was originally Marty McFly mm. and they filmed like they they filmed for weeks, didn't they? There's photos of him. Yeah, they literally. Yeah. They, I mean, I love that because it. What in the gilet? Yeah, there's photos of him in the in the gilet. Yeah, yeah they had to sack no. they had to sack him because they because they got through it and they were like, it ain't working. He's not he's not good enough basically. So they got rid of him and cast Michael J. Fox and scrapped all that they'd done, which is absolutely mental. When, yeah. when you think about it, back then as well. When you think what the cost of films were. Well, I just like the fact that you you like you watch a film like that, like you're saying, and you're a bit like, oh, it's so perfect, and you know, it's so well planned, and they were properly 
Like, mm. right, this ain't working. Back to square one. If at first you don't succeed. Massive decision. Yeah. Are the, are the twiglets a bit loud? Twiglets are fine. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty loud, don't it? That? Can, I, can I go in on a mince pie? Yeah, please do. Do you want a mince pie? I'll have one, yeah. Do you want some cream? I've got cream. Uh, now, yeah. these aren't warm. Is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. So we're going to go for double. Yeah, yeah. Double cream. Get in there. What's your movie, Matty? What, Christmas movie? Yeah. Uh, Muppets Christmas Carol. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it is. I don't know if I've ever seen that. It is. It is. is I that, made that's my, Michael Caine. I made my niece watch it last year. It was over in Australia um, for Christmas, seeing my family that live over there. And they were just so unimpressed. She, she was, you know, they were just like proper like, hey, yeah, you got to watch this. Like, yeah, you're going to love it. And they were just like, this is shit. <laughs> I mean, you can kind of see it, you know. Look, if you if you're eight or nine, going like, you know, what's it's not Moana. That's what she kept saying. Like, <laughs> yeah. can, we watch, can we watch Moana? <laughs> but yeah, Muppets Christmas Carol. Like Got to watch it. it. You've never seen it. I don't think so. Sorry, I've got a mouthful of mince pie. Yeah, I think. I think I've seen bits of it, but no, I'm not big on Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's a nostalgia thing, isn't it? Mm. You know, it's like you, it's like Christmas songs. Like, what, what's your what's your go to Christmas song? Um, Pogues Pogues probably It all depends on situation I think If you're in a cosy warm pub Cosy pub Christmas pub Pogues Nothing no. better Nothing better than everyone like Singing along Drunk Irish man singing Pretending well, yeah. they know the words Pretending of the, they know Of the middle bit No one knows it <laughs> when, we do, when we do it on famous first words it, it's that really long pause, <laughs> but just waiting to get to the chorus for when yeah. Kirsty kicks in. Yeah, yeah. And you, everyone's just like, yeah, giving it the old rinky dink. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do a famous first words Christmas special? Yeah. Yeah. Right. 20th of December. But, and, and what, you're just doing Christmas songs? We do Christmas rounds. Right. So we do, we do all other kinds of songs, but then we do, we break it with Christmas rounds. We do like famous Christmas number ones. Um, just Christmas hits <laughs> and then Christmas favourites. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty just random. What songs that, from Christmas movies? What, what, what's your, what's your go to for like, you know, people are going to get wrong? Like, you know, because what's the one where people people go, it comes on and everyone's like, oh, we know it. The whole, the whole room erupts. It's my favourite one. I hate it. I love to hate it. It goes in so many of our playlists. It's obviously a new playlist every time we do it, we, we mix it up. But this one goes in, it's it's featured a lot, and it's the one, the ratio of getting it wrong to right proclaimers. 500, 500 miles. miles. And the room, because it, it's so distinctive when it comes in, dang, 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 the hands are up, everyone's like, me, me, me. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, you're going to get it wrong. No, I know this one. And we do it at Edinburgh Fringe is the best because it's pretty much 90% Scottish people in the right. crowd. And the amount of Scotsmen and women that get it wrong, it's brilliant. But it's the timing. The timing they get wrong, not the yeah. words. Right. When it, I wake they're always up, too late. Is it? It kicks in and they're too busy jigging around. <laughs> yeah. And it's gone and the whole, the whole room is, oh, when I wake up, oh, no. <laughs> well, the other one's another one bites the dust, isn't it? That, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's hilarious. Because I've, yeah. I've seen famous ding, first words. Ding, and, ding. And, Ding, 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 ding. Everyone's like, yeah, I know, I know, it's another one bites the dust. And they're yeah. up on stage. And what is the first line of that? Um, Steve walks nerdy down the street. With his brim pulled way down low. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even know it. And we've done those. It is Steve, isn't it? Steve walks steadily down the street with what? his brim pulled way down low. Oh, warily. 
Either way, is it Steve? it's not what you think it is. <laughs> it's not Steve. <laughs> Put it this way, no one's ever got it right. Yeah. And they never will. Yeah. I mean, how long have you been doing it now? Famous first words. I wish you should probably explain what it is, actually, for people that are listening that aren't, yeah. aren't familiar. How's this action sports podcast going? <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Famous first words is mine and Gendel's little kind of brainchild. It's a, a game that we devised years and years ago. It a, it's basically the competitiveness between two best friends, which always used to come out in any way. We we spent a lot of time travelling and living together and doing a lot of snowboarding. And when we'd have five minutes to spare, I'd like to think of me and Gendel as pretty good at wasting time. So we we come up with really good ways to waste time. And one of the ways was driving and we'd battle each other and we'd be listening to the radio and I'd turn to Gendel and go, I bet you five quid I can sing the first line to the next song that comes on the radio, not having any clue what song was going to drop next. Right. Because it's obviously a radio show. Yeah. So it started off, I think it kind of started off like that. Then it ended up, we were, we'd battle each other on laptops and he'd have his laptop or iPod and I'd have, you know, and we'd battle each other. I bet you can't sing the first line to this and this. Yeah. And so we used to battle and then house parties, we played at house yeah, I, parties. I, I remember playing it. Played so it on my we stag played it on your stag do. Yeah. With, so again, with like... 50 people. Yeah, all yeah. hanging around Gen's laptop. Save the night, actually. <laughs> it was, night, it was night, <laughs> night two of the stag. Yeah. Everyone was a bit tired and pretty, struggling to get going. Pretty jaded. Yeah. 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 Um, good party starter. Yeah. And so, yeah, and it started off like that. And then we, me and Gendel, through our kind of careers with the fingers above the head doing the quote marks, we, um, we would do a lot of corporate hosting. So we'd host corporate nights and corporate events and corporate quizzes. And we got, we ended up, I think this is one of my really early Instagram posts is we did the Nike Christmas quiz. Right. And um, the last round of the Christmas quiz for Nike, we did a, the round was called, I think we called it the sing the first line of the song game. And I mean, this how long ago it was, it was on CD. I'd burnt 10 songs on a CD. Yeah. We played it off a CD in the pub and people had to sing along. And if you came up and were able to sing that first line, you'd accrue five points for your team. So it's a, basically, it was the last round of a way of people winning the quiz. You know, you could get to the last round of the quiz, be in bottom place, but still win the quiz. We did the 10 songs and people were like, keep going with that, keep going, keep going. We're like, we've only got a CD with 10 songs on. And so it started like that. And then we did a thing for Red Bull where they wanted us to fill 45 minutes. We were hosting like the morning session and then the party night, there was a little bit later on, they had this superstar DJ and they went, we've got this 45-minute gap to fill. You haven't got anything you can play. And we were like, well, we've kind of got this game. And they went, what is it? And Gendel, as quick as a flash, went, it's called Famous First Words. And they went, oh, it sounds good. How does it work? And he went, there's three judges and they've all got flag. Oh, and right, literally so just really made it up on Made up the game for, as form, it is. Formatted it there. We knew, the, we knew, the, we knew the game, and but I... I We'd done it a few times where we judged, and I knew that we needed to separate us from the judges because it, it, and we so we were kind of more with the player. And then I was like, "Well, three judges, words, timing, and conviction." And in the meeting, Tim, you were on like Skype, I think. Yeah, you weren't in the in the. I was meeting. away. Wasn't you I? were away on Skype and in Red Bull, so we just kind of like we got this game, and we'll. We, I reckon we could fill half an hour doing it, and we'll get these judges, and they'll do that. And on the spot, came up with the with the categories. And then it was like, yeah, that'll do it. And then, so then it came to the conference. The judges, can I just say, is is a real masterstroke part of it. Because mm. you, I've judged it and you you always kind of, there's a villain in there, yeah. you know. And you you two are always, 
like really in control of that. That's what I was really impressed at as well. Like you kind of directed that, you know, you were kind of saying to me like, right, stitch him or like, you know, give him a grip. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and it, it really adds to tension. Like it really. You it, have to have a code with the judges. Yeah. You know, like a little look or a little nod here and there. Just you, to... you can whip the crowd up like really easily, can't you, by yeah. using the judges, which is one of the brilliant things about it, I think, really. You can you can string people along. There's a the people that will have, you know, that are perhaps lacking a bit in confidence and you can just instantly green them. Not that you'd ever give it away like that badly. Yeah. But at the same time, there's people that are overconfident. You give them a load of reds, but when they get that final green, it's like they're on the ropes. They've been slugged. Oh, they're like on the ropes. And then, yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. Like, you know, they get carried around, don't they? It's yeah. hilarious. And so uh, you give them that green and the place erupts and everybody's in it. And, it. and it does become sometimes a little bit of the crowd and the crowd versus the judges as mm. well. And so, then we can stay out of it a bit. Because at the end of the night, we've had people come up to us and gone, I was robbed on that. And I literally just go, go and talk to the judges. Yeah, I, not, I, I, nothing to do with me. I've go had, and talk to, to the words job over there. Yeah, I've had people away. come up to me after yeah. judging it and, and properly have a go at me. <laughs> but then as well, <laughs> the like, best thing to do when that happens, if they do that, if you look at them and go, it's just kind of a fun night out. Yeah. They instantly feel really embarrassed and like, oh, yeah, okay, well, yeah, yeah, well, it right. gets quite boozy, doesn't it? Yeah, and people it gets get, very boozy. People take it, you know, they get into it, don't they? So that conference was the first one. Was that the one where you thought, ah, right, we've got a proper format? Well, here, this then. this forty-five minutes that we had to fill with Red Bull, um, we played for two and a half hours. <laughs> I didn't want to stop. They bumped the DJ off. He was gone. <laughs> it was they just went nuts for it. And at the end of the night, all the different. Um, departments of Red Bull. We had the app guy coming up to us. We had the online team. We had the TV production crew. They were all like, we'll, we'll make this. And yeah, yeah, because what we'd done as well in the meantime, we'd gone away and we'd created a game show basically. And we'd sat down and we'd scripted this intro where we burst out from behind the stage. And I came up, I did a demo and all this. And it just all fell into place. And it was pretty much a ready to go format slash TV show slash entertainment party night so straight away everybody could see it we're like yeah we'll, we'll make that happen our friend at the time well he's still our friend james milnes he was like no everybody calm down it's their thing they've been playing it blah blah yeah and that was it and at that point we just realized this will fly i think this is this is gonna be a good night i always thought it was a really um shrewd idea to make it a live night rather than just try and pitch it as a tv show because you could have done that couldn't you, you could have been like because it's so obviously uh, like a ready-made TV show, to me anyway. That was the plan. To, uh, to start, that was the plan. It was like, we'll film it. We luckily have got a lot of cameramen, friends, and, yeah. and get, you know, get, can get kit. Call the favours in. Yeah. Do a pilot. And did, that's, so you, did you do that then? We did that in, in Dalston, the first one we ever did, was, uh, as a proper kind of, we formatted it and we got about seven cameras on it. Right. Got, got all our cameramen mates to come and, Gave them beer for the night and got every mate to come down and fill the pub. And it was more, it was, it was more of a everyone was sat down on tables. It wasn't like how it is now. It wasn't as raw because it was more of a show. It's a bit of a cabaret, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, right. And we did it in the in the weirdest. But well, basically, our friend uh, had a pub, the the three compasses. No, which yeah, three compasses in Dalston. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they didn't have a stage or anything, so it was just so we had to bring in our own stage and set up. Like it wasn't kitted out to do it. But it was a free space. Yeah. So we did it in there and we shot it with seven cameras and we and at the end of the night the 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 pub was jumping, it was going off. And then everyone came up to us and was like, When's the next one? I'm gonna bring some friends. When's the next one? When's the next one? And we were like, Oh, we weren't really gonna do another one. We were just gonna film this and right. 
and then and then we were kind of like maybe we yeah we just do it as a live night and build it that way and then we've you know got more ownership over it and we show everyone and we do that and then let tv come to us yeah well, it's quite an old school way of doing it isn't it like mm. build build the audience do the work build get the out there rather than because i think when you're younger and you have these ideas certainly in my case you know i was always you're kind of looking for permission from from a from somebody else to, to make it almost like if you if you're a musician you know you're like oh, i need to get signed or whatever or i know you boys have pitched loads of tv ideas mm. over the years where you you go to commissioners you're pitching them you're almost waiting for that you know person to say yes this is a good idea and you can make it i quite like the fact you were like you know what we don't need that we're just going to do this because we know it's good we're going to get it in front of people um and yeah and it's been really successful hasn't it I think we've had years of doing that, haven't we? Of, of pitching yeah. in, in meetings and then coming out of it and go, let's just go make it ourselves. We've we've done that with with a few clip shows and a few little comedy. We did a thing for Red Bull, didn't we? Like a kind of mockumentary office style comedy where we just went off. We couldn't really explain it. We and we just went and shot it ourselves and, yeah. and did that. So we, I think we've done that because I guess we come from editing and filming backgrounds. We can you put, can do put it. that stuff together. And, yeah. I think as well, it's worth it's worth noting. I'm going to sound really bitter now. It, it's <laughs> worth noting that we've been there and done that. We've come out of meetings flying high and be like, "Oh my god, the guy at Channel Four loves us and he thinks our idea is great." Da da da. And then you spend the next three months chasing up, going, "So what do you think?" And anything, and then it just goes flat. And yeah. we had we had so many meetings where it's you come out, you've had this carrot dangled, and it's not a carrot; it's a parsnip sprayed with <laughs> orange paint that you just go. Oh, do you know what? That's come to nothing. That you get a bit wise to it, and yeah. in the end, you just go, "Can't be, can't be asked." Well, I always think that, to that a lot of people think doing the job is having meetings. That's what I've kind of yeah learned mm. over over yeah. years. It's like a lot of people just like having meetings because they feel like they're actually doing some work, but it isn't actually work, is it? No, you know, the amount of meetings you have where, like, like you say, and I've had loads of them where you, you go and you talk about something, you, and you come out and you're like, "That was amazing." And that was the best. And knowing that you never hear from him again. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, all oh, right, okay. These days, I kind of just try and identify them early, really. Yeah. You know, and that's why I think you're better off making it yourself, like doing it yourself, and and, and, and just being like, like you said mm. earlier, we'll just like make this the way that we know we can make it, and we'll put it out there, and then if if it does lead anywhere, that's got to be the best way of doing it, I think. Yeah, and and being. And kind of having faith in in your idea, yeah. Because and and if it works, then people will come back and they will tell someone. And we've kind of been going off the if they just tell five mates if they've been, and then they'll bring that. And and that's kind of how it's grown. I mean, you know, it's slow, but it it we've built a a brand and a show, and it gets better. We've done it so many times that the show gets better every time. Well, it's it, it's a winner like in front of every single audience, isn't it? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I've seen you lot do it in in some pretty random mm. circumstances yeah. you know like i've seen the club nights where obviously there's like a loyal crowd you know it's going to go off but i've also seen do it at like birthday parties and in like pretty quiet bars and every time within 10 minutes is like people swinging from the rafters isn't it? you mm. know like you just do you ever get nervous do you ever think like oh this one's not gonna I think or, or do you just know now you know it's gonna work i like it more when they don't when no one knows i like I it more it. yeah when no one knows and that's to go back to your question earlier about about it being a TV idea versus a, a club night is the, the actual playing of this. We love it. So it's not been a difficult decision to do it as a live night because actually me and Gen three beers in and I turn around and he's making me laugh and we're dancing around and doing <laughs> stupid things. It's wicked to do. It's so, so much fun still to play and to, to be a part of. We absolutely love it. 
I think mm. I think we do the we do we've done the Edinburgh Fringe for two years now. Yeah. And it's it's hard to get people through the door. And I think the first night of this year's fringe, the well, the twenty eighteen fringe, the first night we had about twenty people, mm. eighteen people. And it's not the amount of people we do it to one person, it's not that's not the problem. It's just that you physically can't play the game with very many people. You need a, like almost thirty people, forty people because of yeah. the the songs and the just the ratio of people actually knowing the songs. Um, have you had some sniffs from TV then? Because I'm assuming you must have, because it is so good. So, yes, we've 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 had a, quite a few people chatting about it. We've had a few people see it. We've had a lot of commissioners, loads of TV producers. So, so if you think of, you've got the channel controllers at the top they're the yeah. ones decide what goes on telly Tony Hairs yeah then you've got the commissioners <laughs> he's done it he sang Tony Hairs we did we his Christmas we did it David was it Christmas Schne- party David, David Schneider. Schneider really I, I couldn't believe it because that is funny just, <laughs> we, we'll go back just quickly yeah he, we did his he owns a production company and we did and we didn't know it was his production company we got hired by, by our, our friend and the first song I was like First hand up of the night, I was like, "That's Tony Hairs, that's David Schneider," and he came. <laughs> well, up. he's he's uh, he's also um, in I'm Alan Partridge's The Magician, isn't he? Oh God, I'll have to put a yeah. link. It's hilarious the chat show. I mean, yeah. he was in all of it, wasn't he? He's, yeah, yeah. He's, he did all the Alan Partridge stuff basically, didn't he? Yeah, it was amazing, and he he totally got it wrong and messed it up. And then at the end of the night, he came up to me and was like, well, t- "Tell me about it." And I was and I was telling him all that famous first words, and I was like, "I'm pitching to Tony Harris right now." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is I can't say monkey tennis, but that I'm one who's so bad. That is hilarious. Um, That's brilliant. Yeah, go on, Tim. I'll, so you yeah. had some Tony. You had some Tony. Yes, yeah, and uh, but. We've had loads of TV producers come along that work at production companies, and at the end they always come up to you and they're like, "That's a TV show. Yeah, here's our card. Get in touch. Get in touch." And it's um, it's just picking. We've we've had a few meetings with TV production companies, and it can be a bit disheartening when you come out and they're like, "Yeah, we're." Uh, it's a bit like Dragons Day, and you come out and they're like, "We'll we'll take this. We'll make it fly. We'll give you eight percent." And you're like, oh, it's kind of our idea. And I oh, really is that what they come back with? They come back with like ridiculous offers. Have you had people come back and say, well, we'll buy the concepts and we'll put some other talent on it? We met, we met with one production company that wouldn't even give us. So it got down to a point where we're looking at contracts, and they wouldn't even give us our name in the credits as an idea buy. Why? Why? Just because they were dicks. Well, yeah, and it's so it's it's really it's really weird, and it's but it's one of them as well, and it's. You know, we've been holding on and holding on because we know it's a good idea. We know it would make great TV, but then it's the kind of classic a uh, 10% of one pie is better than 100% of no pie. Yeah. And so it's it's hard. But we're with a really good production company now um, that are helping us to kind of get it onto that next stage. Because ultimately, as good as your idea is, you've got to go in. You've got to go in to see these big wigs at the TV channels and ultimately they, you know, they're going to... Could you not do it yourselves though, like... Film, film it and put it out and and all. You know what I mean? Like just yeah. taking that to its logical conclusion, as we were saying. Could you not do that? Because you don't. You, again, you don't really need to 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 have TV to create an audience these days, do you? Or is it just the amount of work involved? I think it's. I think it's. I don't know. It's it's expensive to make a a good pilot. Yeah. Like really expensive. It would be, I think, to get and to do it right. And I think a lot of the times with with a lot of these shows, they go through so many stages of, like, who wants to be a millionaire? I think they did about 15 versions of that pilot. Right. Or something. Or it might have been the Cube. I can't remember. One of them. They're all the same. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it, was, but they... it takes so, so much money to get it right sometimes yeah. that we we can't really 
afford to do that on our own. But but hopefully with like a production company attached and and making the format just right because it is going to need tweaks for for TV compared to to the live show. So I don't know. Needs, to be, needs to be shorter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> needs yeah. to be way shorter and probably a lot less alcohol fueled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, but you know, a good idea is a good idea forever. Yeah, so <laughs> they say. So I did put some questions on on social, as you know, and there's quite a few of the Ant and Deck shout. How annoying is that Ant and Deck comparison? I don't think it's annoying at all. No. I don't take it as a massive compliment. I do. I yeah. think it's funny. Yeah, I like it. The snowboarding Ant and Deck. But it is it's like that. It's, it's kind of that, isn't it? Yeah, it is that. I think as well. It it. It's the best mates thing first, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. They're they're clearly best mates and turned TV presenters and we're best mates turned TV presenters. Do you have do you have a hard time sometimes because I know you boys have have met a lot of um producers and production companies and you've talked about a lot of different formats, you know, whether it's like directing, presenting or whatever. Do you have a hard time kind of co- like communicating to those people like what the partnership is, if that makes sense? Do they always get it? Like the two of you? Because you do come as a bit of a package, don't you? Yeah. Uh, yes, I think we do. I think we do have that problem selling yourself and trying to get you. And we've we've always been rubbish at that, saying how good we are. I think. <laughs> well, you're British. Yeah. Yeah. We're not, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we're not. You know, we'll never blow our own trumpets. I think where we come to where we come to the fore and where people can see it is when we're actually working and when we're given a script from a producer or certainly we were just chatting about this yesterday actually we did a, a TV show a long time ago for Disney called Goldmouth it was a kids football show I remember it yeah, yeah I remember it... being on your stag do in Paris oh, under yeah. the Eiffel Tower <laughs> you were dressed <laughs> yeah, yeah. in a in a in a what how would you describe what you were dressed as um, one of the morph suits like a like a speed with suit with a time trial helmet on yeah and that little kid came up to you and he's absolutely stoked wasn't yeah. he yeah and yeah. then we put the time trial helmet on the little kid's head for the photo yeah. and realised someone had drawn a big penis on the side of it. <laughs> I do remember that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And we were like, oh. But, that, but like, you know, he was th- like genuinely made up, wasn't he? He's like, there's his TV heroes. Yeah, you've done a load of stuff like that, haven't you? Loads of stuff for kids that, that now the kids are a bit older. They're like, wow, it's you two off the... I remember I was in Sainsbury's a couple of weeks ago and the guy went... The guy said to me, he was about 25 and he went... Don't you do the uh, goal math anymore? <laughs> like whispered it under his breath, like it was some kind of right thing. I went, oh no, it was a long time ago. But yeah, so we did that for Disney, and and just to go back to your question, we were handed this script, which was very much kind of written. Tim says this, and Gendel says this, and da, da, da. and then I looked at it, and I just went, "Well, you'd never say that," and he'd go, and Gendel would go, "Well, you wouldn't say that. I'll say this. You say that." And I went, "Good idea." Boom, and we did it, and straight away the producer was like, "Yeah." That's, that's better. Yeah. That's their best mates, and that's yeah, how they, they talk are to the each best. other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think they knew that even back then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, you got into this, as you kind of alluded to earlier, through snowboarding, really. And yeah. that's how you met, right? Did you meet or did you go to school together? I'm a bit hazy on that. Am I, always, I always think it was a snowdome, right? It was, yeah, we didn't go to school together. We, we, yeah, snowdome. You were a snowdome. Um, go on. You, were, you can do it. Well, go on. I was the pro. He was the, the snow dome. He was the snowdome pro. He was the local. And I remember the local hero. I remember I started and I was starting to get a bit a bit better at riding and but I'd seen Tim around a bit. He worked in ski hire. He was like older and cooler. I was still at school away. Was he the funds? A little bit. Yeah. He wore a sweet grey body warmer and he used to stand at midpoint. And I remember once walking past it and he and he looked at me and he almost looked at me like 
like scowling. I remember. <laughs> if it's say, who, who do you think you are? And then think, um, of, Ma- think of Maverick and Iceman. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit like that. Slider. I was, yeah. Ma- I was Maverick. <laughs> I was Maverick. Yeah. Um, but so it, I don't know. He was the best then, and I got a bit better, and then we we became mates, and then uh, and then pushed each other at the snow dome. Really. And How became... did you both find snowboarding then? Was it through the snow dome? Snow dome. Yeah. Kind of like for me, it was it opened um, near you guys, and you were like, yeah, yeah, right in Tamworth. I'd um I'd skied. So my next door neighbour, um, Paul Nichols, my best my best mate from school, his mom, um, bought me back. They they used to go skiing to Breckenridge every year, and she bought me back a copy of Snowboarder because I used to do a lot of skateboarding. So I was like skateboarding around his house and trying to ollie up their curbs and in their back garden. So she knew I liked skateboarding. And some lads had dropped a magazine in Breckenridge. Right snowboarder mag and she bought it back from america she went here i thought thought you might like this and so i was looking i was like wow snowboarding it's connected to your feet and you can do all the instant grabs and i went on a school ski holiday and then when i came back i went to the snow dome in tamworth because it had just opened my mom got a voucher out the paper and it was ski for a fiver right so i really enjoyed skiing on with school in italy and i came back and i went skiing and i don't know what came over me but when i came off the slope as I was walking out, I just walked up to the reception and I said, "Do you do work experience?" And they went, mm, "No, but we've you know they'd literally been open a couple of weeks." Right. And the duty manager said, "Yeah, we'll we'll take you if you want to do your work experience." So I did my school work experience there when I was fifteen. Right. And after the two weeks work experience, I worked there. Right. So I worked there every single day, pretty much. And um, after my first ever day there as work experience, I had a snowboard lesson that night. Right. And just loved it. Who gave you the lesson? Chris. Brat, right? Remember Chris Brat? He uh, was an old, vaguely Grand Prix Boardwise pro. Yeah, I was going to say because there was all that community around, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, Dave Ferno and Mark Chester. I was going to say Mark Chester must have Doug been around. Doug Foden and yeah. all those guys, and the Brass Brothers, and they were all on that. They had a, there was a huge Grand Prix poster with yeah. Steve Bailey and everybody on it. Yeah, exactly. Because this would have been probably what mid nineties, ninety four. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like kind of generation after. Yeah. After all those boys, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. When there's a scene, isn't there, going already yeah. that you could plug into? Right, so you, and you just, it was like it opened near you again. Yeah, it's, it opened, yeah, I had no interest in skiing or anything like that. I'd never been, never done a family ski holiday, like, but my sister had been on a ski, uh, a school ski trip to Austria. So when the snowdome opened, she got asked down, I think, to to ski on the opening day. Right. And it was Who do on, we know that skis? It was on the new, yeah. I don't know how. I don't know how. I don't know how. Maybe Jeff Gandalf it, it can was ski. Through, through school. Yeah, so small She's been once. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. So she went down and was on like the local news, and I went down to watch, and I saw someone snowboarding. I was like, oh, I'm not got no interest in skiing, but that guy he looks quite cool. Um, it's probably me. I don't think. It was. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I had some lessons, and then just kind of got yeah got into it. Then and started going down, and that's when I met Timo, and then. As we got better, I mean, it was, it was expensive. I was going to say, how did you afford it? Well, it was. Well, this was the thing. They set up the Ramp Boys project. <laughs> <laughs> ramp. Um, where basically... So, <laughs> told, so, me, told me a second, that. So basically, yeah, you, you, if you're one of the Ramp Boys, you put the ramps out, dug the land in, and there was four Ramp Boy tickets that you got. <laughs> That's amazing. So, uh, which basically meant you could snowboard on snowboard night for free. Um, so it was basically me and three of my schoolmates most of the time, Chris Orchard, um, David Thompson, Matt Coy, they were all at my school. And then you were kind of got it for I was free. Wor- I was working you there. there anyway. Yeah, yeah. So we, um, 
So that's how I did it every week. Every so Tuesday, that's how your little, little crew came about. Yeah. I didn't know that. Putting yeah. out, carrying the ramps out. Right. Digging the landings. And then at the end of the night, absolutely knackered. Yeah. Right. At, at, at midnight, carrying it home on a Tuesday night. Then he'd have to walk all the way home and then go to school the next morning. Yeah. <laughs> As your dues right there. But it was yeah. 20 quid. I couldn't afford 20 quid. No, right. No way. So that was it. We, you know, we got to do that. And then they started doing snowboard nights on a Saturday night. So we could do it twice a week. Yeah. You know, it's quite a, a decent amount of snowboarding. Yeah, but, yeah. So you just were hitting that jump mm-hmm. over and over again yeah basically non-stop non-stop yeah. so how many years did that scene go on for i mean it, we'd come back after my first two or three seasons i was coming back and still still well, going still riding and doing the ramps and working yeah. over at boardwise as well and or grand prix and grand prix tamworth and we got jobs in the shop and just yeah it was just kind of constant wasn't it, so it what year was the first veil season that you so Tim had already done you'd done seasons. I went away in '96 to Winter Park. That was my you were first. Quite young, weren't you? I was really young. I was 16. Yeah, I, I left school at 16, and all my friends were going into sixth form, and I just found snowboarding, and I'd won a couple of dry slope slalom contests. Yeah, because I met you for the first time at Edinburgh, I think. Yeah, Edinburgh, Hill End. at the Edinburgh Brits. Yeah, which would have been like '97, I think. I've yeah. got a really clear memory of meeting you then. And you yeah. were you were a young lad. Yeah, like, you were really young. I mean, I was probably 20. So you, what would you have been, 16? 16. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'd I'd just started winning a few contests and I thought, this is the, this is the path. This is it. Right. So I managed to convince my mum and dad. And actually a guy had set up this holiday company in Winter Park, Colorado. Right. And he said, would you like to come and work in the chalet and you can get ride all the time? And I just thought, yeah, absolutely. So Amazing. my first ever time on an aeroplane was flying to Colorado. Right. To go and to go and live. And I went, I did a month and a half or two months. And then that was the year as well I got picked to represent GB in junior uh, the Junior World. Right. Yeah, and so I did slalom is, for the juniors. So this is when you're getting kind of plugged into the whole yeah. wider scene. So yeah. who would have been around then? Like Danny? Danny Wheeler would have been around? Cy? Cy Brass? Cy Brass. Elliot? Keith Patterson was, Keith Patterson. was shredding really good. Yeah, he was a great snowboarder, Keith, wasn't he? Reese Crabtree riding really well. Yeah, right. Jamie Philp was, was a bit of an outsider, but he was... Absolutely showing signs of promise because he could just go upside down whenever he wanted. And yeah, he was pretty good, really. Yeah. He? So there's a load of us, and we all went to Japan to to do the Junior World Championships. Wow. And that uh, was that was '97. Yeah. So that was when you were 16. Yep. Getting the after eights open. Guys. I'm opening. The, I'm trying to open the after eights as quietly as I can. Don't worry about it. Get them open. I'm just doing no, it quickly now. So yeah. carry on. Carry on. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, and then my but so my first winter Russell. season was '97, '98 in Vale. Right. Yeah. When was yours going? Um, so that. So basically, Tim had. Yeah. Tim tried to get all of the ramp boys over to <laughs> to Vale, and basically, we all applied for work visas for that season. Was that, that was ninety eight? Did you say ninety seven? Ninety seven, ninety eight. And I was the only one that didn't get a work visa because I was a month too young. Oh man! And all my other schoolmates got Stinging. them. So everyone got their visa. Like, oh, we're going to Vale, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going. Um, so I was kind of left out and at that point I saw that the British junior team were doing like a trial uh, you know go and try and get in the junior team week in Sasfe trial week I guess yeah so I went over so I realised I couldn't go to Vale for the whole season but I could go for a couple of months so I went over for about a month later in the season but in December I went and tried to get in the junior team and got in the junior team luckily so that's where I met Gary Greenshield yeah Davo, um, maybe Ryan Davis. I don't think Davo was on that one. Jamie Filt was. Right. Orlando was. Yeah, really? Yeah, I, I, no hung, out, I hung out with Orlando a lot that week. Um, 
and Hamish and met all those guys like a totally Hamish different Duncan. scene. Hamish McKnight. Hamish McKnight. Because um, I guess Hamish Duncan was a little bit Hamish younger. Hamish Duncan yeah. wasn't on that one, I don't think. And I got in the team, so I did Junior World Worlds that year. Yeah. As well. I, I remember meeting you properly. I think was the one in France. Because I remember meeting you, picking you up, hitchhiking. Me and Dave at McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Albertville yeah. McDonald's. Yeah, that was I was in... with Chris Moran and probably Jono and Ewan, maybe. Ewan Wallace. Yeah. I think we'd been to Chamonix and we were driving back to Maribel. And we yeah, were. Chamroos? Like... I was trying to think where yeah, that was. Yeah, I think it was, down, it was down the valley in the Savoir from yeah. Maribel. And we were like, all right, lads, what are you up to? And you'd hitched to McDonald's. Yeah. Because you were in some hotel in the middle of nowhere middle and you nowhere. were that bored, weren't you? Yeah. So we dropped you off. That would have been about '99, maybe. Yeah. So that was, but that was a junior worlds thing that as well. That was junior right? worlds back then. They, they did two. They did two junior worlds a year. They did the ISF and the FIS. So I did about three or four seasons of doing them every year. I did about six junior worlds altogether. Quite a mad scene when you think back, because because mm. it, it was really it was so embryonic. The whole sort of, especially like the the British national team. It was all this is it all being worked out, wasn't it back mm. then? But when you think of the names that you've just kind of listed that went through that it's, it's pretty mad really yeah. when you think back to it and also who you were competing against yes yeah, so like who i mean now nah, classic i can't remember any but... <laughs> well i guess you're talking about people like giggy right and yeah like, nicholas muller muller, nicholas muller, muller. And, uh, Bened- david benedict david maybe? benedict yeah. danny cass uh, junior worlds they were chris duffercy they were all there yeah which is trevor andrew people like that would just yeah they were all kind of because you juniors cause, but, but mm. i remember going to see you like in whistler and they were all your mates, weren't they? Because of that, you know, you all you, you kind of knew them all, didn't yeah. you? Because you'd had that, those experiences. Obviously, by that point, a lot of them are like very famous professional mm. snowboarders. But it's a good sort of camaraderie amongst that age group, wasn't it? Really, it was. Yeah. It was. I remember Japan '96 because you know it was it was new and it was half pipes were terrible, but J- they were being Japan. dug. But sixteen, sixteen Japan. Japan. So here's the here's the thing. We Jesus. went as the British team, you know, fully had to fund it yourself. No funding whatsoever from yeah. anybody. It was, you know, do you want to come and represent Great Britain? You will pay for it all yourself, which is absolutely fine. Um, yeah. Had an amazing time. The Australians, the Canadians, the Americans were all staying in this brand new Hilton Hotel. They were causing mayhem. They had buffet breakfast in this sparkling hotel. I was absolutely gutted because I had to go back to my authentic Japanese home with fresh sushi every night. (laughs) You know, you couldn't buy the Japanese experience that we lived. But at 16, I was absolutely livid that I wasn't in this American-style hotel. (laughs) Now I think back to the experience that I had as a youngster. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. So when did the Whistler years happen? Because that was when I think we kind of became mates, wasn't it, and started hanging out? Because this is obviously when I was doing White Lines with Chris and Ed and Nick Hamilton, and I remember coming out to Whistler to do a story with Nick. I reckon this is probably like 2001, maybe? Yeah. Uh, you, would you like... I was, I was there night... Uh, my first season was 99, 2000 in you, Whistler. You weren't there that one, no. I don't think. You were in Vail I was in Vail. Um, and then I, I definitely remember, like, kind of... It all gets a bit hazy on the dates, but, yeah. you know, the, so there was you, Jenny Jones... McMorris. Scott McMorris, Need, Elliot... Cybrass. Cy. The cr- Cracknell. Ribbo, Andrew Hingston, yeah. Dave Cracknell, Ollie Cotton. Mm. And what was that just because it was the best park and you wanted to, it was all like, we just want to get better? Do you know what I think it was back then as well? It was This was, of course, before terrorism, terrorism existed and you could freely go to North America and they were giving, a, you know, visas were easy to come by and stuff. But certainly 
I think for us, when I did those first Vail seasons in, in Colorado, I chatted to, because you'd come back in the summers, you'd come back to the UK and you'd do all the dry slope contests and you'd chat to everybody. And I'm like, I'm going to, I went to France. How did you end up in America? Like, it was almost like it was so far and yeah, I really difficult that. to do. But actually, it was really easy to do because yeah. back then the flights were cheap. I mean, we flew for 280 quid over to America, and which I suppose back then was a lot of money, but... It was it was easy to do, and actually, yeah. like mm. the renting of houses and stuff, it was always super easy to do. So I think naturally we ended up in North America, and we very quickly just got into that lifestyle and that we couldn't speak French. I mean, we're from Tamworth, for goodness' sake. <laughs> yeah, know, I, so I can't speak French. Yeah, that's <laughs> I true. Did like ten seasons in France, <laughs> but you you it's shocking. You end up like I think it was just mm. easy to do, and so yeah. we you realised how easy it was, and then you ended up just falling back in. And actually, my brother, who we did the first couple of seasons in Vale with, my brother fell in love with an American girl and he never came back. Yeah, so yeah. he ended up staying out there. So mm. we'd buy these big tellies. We were working out there. We'd buy these huge, big, massive 50-inch TVs, leave them in his garage, and then you'd go out the next year and all your stuff was still there ready to go again. So. Well, it really suited your guys' snowboarding as well, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it, I remember that seemed like a big reason for you to do it because you, you were into that, weren't you? Mm. You know, you like riding the parks. You yeah. Were, you were about progressing with, with freestyle at that time and... And you were all getting really good. You know, it was like a good... I remember going over there. It was a great scene, you know, like proper... I think it, I think it really showed... My first season, I didn't do a full season there because I had to come back and do Junior Worlds because I was still doing it then. And then at the Brits, McMorris and Cy and Elliot, and they'd all just got, got good. really good. Yeah, they it, it just showed and it was kind of like, oh, that's what, that's what happens when you stay in Whistler. I think I'm going to do that next year. Yeah. So, so then it was like, I'm just going to stay there. And... Well, when you think back to Neve's White Lines cover... You know, mm. that backside rodeo. Massive. It's like really yeah. sick, isn't it? Yeah. And that was probably like 99. Oh, he'll be yeah. loving this He'll right be loving now. it. I can hear it. I can giggle. He will be giggling right now. <laughs> Merry Christmas, They're talking about me. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Neve. Yeah. So then this was also, you know, we need to talk about the filming. I think that's like yeah. one, of, I think that's one of the things that you guys are obviously most fondly known for, like the contribution that you made to British snowboarding with the films that you made over, what, eight years, maybe? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, but it's a long time. And The yeah. Invasion was the first one, right? Yeah. So... And I remember that coming out in 2000, maybe. Oh, God, yeah. Because I remember doing yeah, a trip 2000. with you to Meyerhofen in the summer. Yeah. And that was summer 2000. And that was a funny trip because we met, like, Mikey LeBlanc and Danny yeah, Katz and all yeah. that with Nick. Yeah, yeah. Nick Hamilton. And I think it came out just after that. That's my memory. 2000 and that was yeah. like a where'd the idea come from then because at the time that was a pretty visionary move that really so i'm going to mention the j2 review as well okay we'll good. get to that <laughs> all right we'll get <laughs> yeah. to that so but, but, but you know like it was a it it, it was a really naive move really if you don't mind me saying it, and, and that's what was great about it because it was yeah we can do a snowboard film we're oh gonna my. do a snowboard film why not and, you know and and you aimed really high like the like the production that you aimed for was really, you know, you tried to do it properly, didn't you? On on the resources that you had, which is which is great. So where did that come from? Um, so the so before the invasion, there was a we made a movie just in veil of ourselves. So we so I'm a very rubbish, frustrated snow skateboarder, and we used to film ourselves skateboarding. Me and my mate Eddie Yates and and Rich Job, and used to try and make skate little skate edits, but they were terrible. And then when I met two brothers in um, Vale called the Eldridge Brothers, and they were frustrated skateboarders yeah, as well. Tom and John actually Tom and deserve John. a good mention, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they're, 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 a couple, they're a couple of unsung contributors yeah. to the scene, aren't they? Mm. Firstly, they were really good at snowboarding. Yeah. And secondly, they were they, they had a 
good vision for this, didn't well, they? Well, they, you know, they made in the invasion pretty much. It's their, it's their definitely movie. their, yeah, it's definitely their film. We just kind of almost, I guess, knew. Well, you, different people in the scene, and and I was filming a bit. You were filming in a Whistler. Whistler. You had a video camera, so you you contributed loads of footage, mm. and then they. So we made we made a, a movie before the invasion called Two Twenty, which was the number of their apartment that they lived in, and we edited it on, or they edited it on videotapes, literally pressing pause, record. Right. Yeah. That's great. And so I had a little section. Old school. Yeah, I had a section in that to Shirley Bassey and the Propeller Heads music. Right. And we all from was, the end. Yeah. It was like yeah. a little. It was like a little. Um, a little Vale video that we mm. made, and then. It was really good, and we had a little premiere in Vale, and it was we we're all super stoked on it. And then the next year, we said, "Look, let's make a proper video." And again, with Gen being up in Whistler with those boys, and John and Tom had a nice video. Tom had bought a really nice video camera, and I just basically kind of helped produce it. Really, did some filming and helped plug them into the British scene. And I went off and collected some sponsorship to help pay for the yeah the well, production. It's a, a big deal. Yeah, like they every, did. A, everybody got behind it. Yeah, and then we organised a premiere up in Tamworth Brilliant. at the uh, the Palace Cinema, didn't we? Well, I've got there's some hilarious night. pictures from that. That picture you found of me and Ed Lee. That yeah. is so funny. <laughs> yeah, that picture. Yeah. I might actually put that up. Yeah, it's, definitely it's get it up too there. Too funny. You in the roll neck. Yeah, Team Rollneck. Yeah, still, still proud, proud founder of Team Rollneck. Twenty four, I would have been. Oh, it's it's funny. Yeah. I, I actually cried when I saw that picture. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was you know what I love about it, it was like proper DIY culture without sounding like a dickhead, but it was it was it was you know because at the time. You, you weren't going to get a part, were you? You know? No. You weren't going to... And there wasn't the support in our industry, certainly, to create that film. It's not like you could have gone to your sponsors and gone like... Which is what happened across wider global snowboarding, isn't it? That was the culture. It was like, you know, there's Mac Dog. And TB. It was a, a TB. And it was about making those films. And it was about... That's, that's how you had your platform. You mm. couldn't do that if you were a British kid. So you no. had to do it yourself, which is which is brilliant. And And... To bring it to the J2 thing, and I remember you boys were so gutted about that. So J2, Jason Rasmus, right? Yeah. Didn't he review it in Snowboarder? Yeah. And he slagged it. He's like, this is shit, basically. Yeah. The, yeah. Ride, the riding's shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. what are they doing? You know? Yeah. Like, what, even these British kids or something well, going missed, back to riding carpets? Well, you missed the point. You missed the point. Absolutely, absolutely missed the point. absolutely missed the point. And, and that was the the point of it was that we were cele- you were celebrating British snowboarding. And it, yeah. it's not about being... It's not about being really good, no. Because we're never, we, especially at the time. I mean, it is now. Obviously, when you have got people winning like Olympic medals, and you know, obviously, we do have like genuinely world class freestyle snowboarders. But back then, the scene had always been about that celebrating itself. I mean, mm-hmm. that was what White Lines was about, you know. Yeah. Like, and we, obviously, I'm quite biased, but I always thought that's what made our media really unique because it was so serious, wasn't it? Yeah. All, all the global yeah. snowboarding stuff, and that review really kind of showed that and i remember saying to you like like don't listen who cares yeah Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. you know like it's just some dickhead in america who's missed the point you know i think that was at always at the ethos of all our films after that was well, of just course. like and, and you, you doubled down basically we had the disclaimer at the front yeah the disclaimer which was like at the start the ta- don't take snowboarding into you know no, uh, the don't take this film too warning seriously. yeah Warning, don't take this to well, that was this what film was great, seriously. That was what it's was, just for fun, like snowboarding. That was what was great because it was like, you know what? Fuck and that, you. And we're that, just gonna yeah. do this thing anyway. And and it got 
sillier and sillier and better and better and it sent it up more and more mm. so, and you obviously got more confident with it because you started doing like you know it all got pretty conceptual didn't it with some of them well we were just i think we were just trying to make each other laugh more it was kind of like okay we've got a, we've got a you know a subject which is snowboarding but standing around filming snowboarding all the time is pretty boring and we've got some quite funny mates who kind of like making stuff yeah and we like acting and doing stupid skits and stuff like that and it was just like actually people i think that one of the premieres we put our first joke in and it got a big laugh and it's a bit like maybe we should do more funny stuff right because people like that because we're not doing the world's best snowboarding why don't we do you know play to our strengths a bit more and uh and just make it fun and and, and that's why we were taking footage from it, everyone yeah, because uh, which is another thing you, you got criticised for. Oh, massively, yeah. massively. Like, like where's, the, were, where's the kind of filter? Yeah, you know? and we were like, hey, I had a few shots. That's how bad it was. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But we were but the ones sat there looking. If something made us laugh, in it in, was in in the office. It was yeah. like, that's funny. Put that in because but, as well, the, the the what you'd get is ultimately you'd get. I don't know. For picking a random name, Chris Galder yeah. would send you a handful of tapes from his season in Teen. And you'd trawl through the tapes and he'd say, oh, you want tape three at four minutes and 38 seconds because there's my backside 180. So as you're jogging through the tape to get to <laughs> four minutes, so good. you would go, you'd pass two minutes and 42 seconds, which is actually him drunk falling down the stairs. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's, that's, that's how it worked. And, it, you know, these movies we would spend... Six, seven months trying to edit these things, but because we were trawling through tapes, yeah. just everybody, because people would come with all their tapes, and because people didn't have the editing capabilities, a lot of people were buying cameras at that point because mm. cameras were coming down. But the little mini mini DV tapes, yeah, you'd get you'd get a parcel of ten from Mike Austin. So that's ten hours, ten watch. hours to watch. Of, yeah, of Mike Austin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the I trouble mean, I love is, Mike, but that's a lot of footage. Yeah, but you'd, but again, you'd, you'd get to a point where you'd be like, I can't be bothered to watch all this. Yeah. And then you'd catch a glimpse of something which was gold and you'd go, if I'd not watched it, I'd have missed that. That's so, so like, much work, though. So then you but have it is to... Like, then, it, but it yeah. just keeps... It keeps re reinvigorating it's your... It's so good, though, because it's just so... Curiosity it, it, to watch these tapes. it's such commitment to... Like, and also, we should say, Jeremy Sladen paid for all this. I know. Fair play. Sladen, Jeremy Sladen yeah. literally gave you boys a job doing this, yeah, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, we were on which, a, we're on a monthly wage. I think... I think According to the TSA, we were working in the warehouse I mean, somewhere. That's just so yeah. Sladen, isn't it? I mean, yeah. that's just so driven by the a love of the the ridiculousness of it. I think know? that was it as well. That you had to remember like where this where the original DVD was going. Because I I worked in TSA. I'd done like summer my summer job in the shop. Loads done a couple a couple of summers. So you're meeting people who are buying snowboard kit every day and boots and everything and buying a kit. Most of them don't know what a backside rodeo is. No. They don't know. But if they're going to buy something from the shop and get this DVD for free, you kind of think, well, I kind of want them to watch it again. If they don't know anything about the tricks and all the riders don't know who's who, I kind of want that feeling they get from watching that DVD to be the thing they watch before they go on their holiday or, or in the morning before they go. So it's it's like that. We've got to remember those yeah, well, people. That, and that's so important. I mean, that's yeah. the thing I've harped on about for years. Like, most snowboarding marketing and what you did was obviously a form of snowboarding marketing completely forgot that mm. you know it was all i've said this before on it it was always like this is so hard 
you know. And like yeah. most people that buy the kit, you know, we've all worked in shops, mm. you know, and they don't, they don't care. No, they just want to no. go snowboarding because yeah. it's a laugh, you know. So that was the other thing that was great about your films. They were completely accessible to that audience as well. Who were the people that basically support the industry? Yeah. They're yeah. the ones that are buying everything. Yeah, they yeah, were paying yeah. for the film, really. You know, they're the ones that are actually like supporting the whole thing. Exactly. I mean, and also, was was did you realise at the time what an amazing kind of proving ground this was for you boys on the creative kind of double act front? Because you must have, it must have been fun. Because you basically could any idea you had, you could put in your films, couldn't you? Yeah. Which which you did. Yeah, we did. You know, and that's that's kind of almost like your years of of honing it, isn't it? You know, of having the opportunity to to basically practice things, get try and be funny. You know, it's important mm-hmm. all that. Like, mm. Did you realise that at the time, or was it just a bit like, no, we're going to do whatever? <laughs> no, I t- I, and I'll hold my hands up. I think I, I think we spoke about it yesterday or whatever. That it, I, I think I was a bit guilty of getting sucked in sometimes with your edits and trying to edit stuff. And you know, when you get, say, for instance, my f- five six shots of me versus the twenty shots of Cybrass or Danny Wheeler, I'd I'd look at those and I'd go that's really good that is really good and so I'd get really sucked in and want to give that a really good platform and I think that was quite was the good thing was to have Gendo there because he'd be my constant reminder and be like yeah but it's just snowboarding chill out yeah needs a funny bit and I'd go oh yeah and I'd be like I've got this banging track it's a um it's a it's a dubstep remake it's this it's gonna be like no we're gonna put like Tim, cheeky Check girls the over it. Folder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've already, I've and sorted I'll, it. I'll be, like, <laughs> I'll be like, no, let's have this, and he'd be like, no, because nobody cares about. Yeah, well, there's fifty TV film, on the radio, fifty films nobody, a year doing that. Exactly, exactly, and I, and I think that was that's what was really good is that we were we were actually that good bit of partnership, and I was a bit anal about colours and grading and editing to the beat and trying to make things a bit slicker, whereas Gen would just be a bit more creative and say. Look, don't worry about trying to get that in time because it's about to drop into Spandau Ballet. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was the fact as well that you always had in your head, I kind of want someone to watch this in 10 years and not feel a bit like, oh, they thought they were cool. Yeah. That, that like, uh, and I think you can still put our films on and just kind of and laugh and go, God, they were, you know, there's bits where, you know, people are trying to look cool and ride cool and do that. But it was always. The vibe was fun. Yeah. And, and and it's amazing how snowboarding stuff has aged. You watch a lot of films and you're like, oh, so that's a bit... Oh. Yeah, the, the fashion certainly aged. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's just like, I just think, I just want to be able to watch these always. I think. Well, I think they stand up. I think they totally mm. stand up. I mean, the other thing we should say as well, the premieres were really important, Yeah, you know, occasions for the scene, for the UK scene. I, I, I guess to some people it probably, you know, you always used to go, oh, it's so cliquey, which I just always thought was ridiculous thing to say about British snowboarding because I personally always find it so open mm. but that was a really important thing wasn't it every year you know like it got everyone together it was a focal point everyone could celebrate what what was going on mm. you know they were they were a big deal weren't they those things and no one had seen anything that was the, that was why it was so exciting because no one had it's not like now where no everyone's phones, seen everything yeah no internet yeah no no gopros and there was everything it was you'd, you'd go filming and you'd maybe see there's the advent of laptops people you know the, the few the privileged would have a laptop a mac yeah. and if you had the right capabilities you'd have a few clips on your laptop and that was it and then we were arriving with this polished well polished <laughs> fingers above the head movie <laughs> but it was it was a chance for the whole scene to to actually see what 
Nelson Pratt had been doing in Teen or what Jono had been doing, Jono Verity had been doing in Chamonix. And it's it was, it was yeah, it was wicked. Yeah, everyone took it seriously, for sure. Yeah. Everyone, you know, the people that were pushing themselves the hardest, like, wanted the shots, didn't they? Mm. Yeah. So one of the questions that came up a lot was, what's your favourite What's your favorite lockdown film? Badass Big Airs. Mm. Well, I think that's the one with the dog on the cover, right? Yeah. The yeah. <laughs> it's the best Still cover. cuts me deep. I, I don't know. I don't know. Do you know the story about, behind the dog, right? So we wanted to put that on issue 50 of White Lines on the cover. Yeah. Because that was always, um, it's a postcard that was around the White Lines office for years. And it is just so ridiculous, isn't it? It's like a guy on like hard boots, isn't hard it? Hard boots. With jumping off this jump and there's a dog got flying a Mouse in the air. Jumper on or got something? A Mickey Mouse jumper, shorts, and he's, he's in shorts, and he's thrown. Someone's thrown his dog up after him or something. Oh, I think yeah. he's gone off the jump, holding the dog, and then throwing the dog and let go of the dog in the air. Yeah. So and we, <laughs> so we had that in the White Lines office for years, and when it came to issue fifty, obviously we were like, "Wow, oh God, issue fifty, Jesus!" Like, let's do something. So we, uh, we, we mocked it up for the cover. We wanted to put it on the cover, and our publisher said no. Like pulled rank. Only time he ever did it, as far really? as I know. Yeah, um, was just like no way. We were not having that on the cover, and we were a bit like, "What? Like that's that's an amazing cover." And it's like, "No way!" Like we'll lose advertising, and because I'm pretty sure Moran said to you, didn't he? I'm pretty yeah, sure Moran that's where gave it, it us. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it was Moran. I think that's where Chris it came Moran. from because yeah. Chris was like, because that was a Chris Moran like that was his like mission to get that on the cover of White Lines. And um, so I think he was pretty stoked when you used it for the cover. Yeah. So big the first video we did was called Proper. What was the second one? Yeah, Badass Big Airs. No, yeah. No, it wasn't. Badass yeah. Bad Big Airs was the third one. No, that was Show Offs. Show Offs was third, Terminal Frosty 4. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Badass, yeah. So what we do is, because we're both big James Bond fans, in the credits, yeah, it would end. always say James Bond will return in A View to a Kill or whatever the next one was. So it was late. On the Friday night, the premiere on the Saturday, we still were writing the credits and we were, Gendel went to me or we were chatting. He's like, we've got to put the name for the new movie. I was like, what is it then? And he went, Tim and uh, Lockdown Projects will return with, and he went, I don't know, badass big airs. <laughs> so it went in. We'll change it <laughs> later. We'll change well, it we, later. Don't, we don't have to do that. We'll yeah. just put a funny name. So we did. We put badass big airs. And when John O'Verity read it, he, uh, he cried with laughter that our next movie was going to be called Badass Big Airs and it stuck. Yeah. So, so I think it's the best. I think it's the best name. Um, what well, The last one was Terminal Frosty, was it? Yeah. yeah. And that was the one that was like the fake documentary almost. Yeah. I See, mean, I, I, think, I think that's my... I think that's my favourite film. I think I'd watch that one again because of it's got more skits and it's got a bit more to it. It's pretty postmodern. That it's like yeah. a proper send up of the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah, like the, you know the way he did it. It's like a proper piss take of the whole kind of well, yeah, you definitely. you boys as, as individuals, and then also the kind of the the way that those films are made, right? Well, exactly. I think it was. I think we we I think we we'd veered into kind of behind the scenes stuff in show offs with stuff with Jono. Yeah. Of like Jono having a hissy fit in in show offs and and we that was kind of funny and we we're like maybe we should continue Jono's story in the next one and about us falling out. I was like well, we could you know maybe it's all about behind the scenes and that year had been so bad for Snow, it was kind of like we need to do something else and make a bit more of a story out of it and things just seemed to come together. Like I watched it the other night. I don't sit around and watch my films. <laughs> what are you watching? I watched it because we was, I had Cy Belson. I had Cy Belson staying at my house and he was on about it. 
And Camilla, I my girlfriend, had seen it. And I forced him to watch my fourth <laughs> snowboard well, this movie. This sounds really bad. I so basically, is this your thing, like Die Hard? Die like, Hard. Yeah. Now you're going to watch Terminal Ferocity, <laughs> my film. She actually kind of liked that more than Die Hard. But um, yeah, we we watched some of it with yeah, we watched it with Belson the other night. But I kind of thought there's okay, there's definitely bits I'd change, but there were certain things that came together in that film, like Dom Harrington filming himself. Yeah, Dom was brilliant. That, Dom was brilliant. That was so good. But that was like genuine. That there was bits where he'd put, he'd literally put the camera down and filmed himself, and the bit in the pipe when the when camera he put slid it, down, when down it the slide is so funny. And like when we found that, we we're like, let's let's make this into a story. Yeah. And that's and he, and he set things. the he set the camera up of himself jumping over, like trying to ride along, jump off his snowboard over a rope and land on his snowboard the other side, you know, like a hippie jump on yeah, a skateboard. Yeah, yeah. And he catches his feet and slams and eats shit yeah. and then he has to walk back to the camera limping to press stop. <laughs> he's on his own. Well, that was it. He's, like, You're, he's actually on his own trying to get clips for the video. Oh, and so, so let's do it as if he's gone off rogue. That and is like, great. I, I didn't, didn't know that. That, like, that is a brilliant little storyline. Yeah. And we've got these three amazing clips or three or four clips of him doing that, which were genuinely like, and he fell on that but, rail, knackered himself on his Yeah, <laughs> smashed himself on the rail. But again, it's because he gave us ten, six tapes right. that you trawl through and you find those clips. I mean, he'd never have given us him tripping over a rope on his own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, so that's so. what made it unique then, the fact that you, mm. you kind of went... So did you get more confident with that as it went on? Kind of like drawing those, because you know that's like pretty creative thing to do. Just take that clip and go, right? We're going to kind of make a whole story out of that. I think it, it that that came to life in the edit in in the summer. It was like yeah. we start off with a few skits. And oh, we could do that, and it, and linking it together was was really fun. And then that was just a case of writing the writing the script and the voiceover. But then you you know you've got to give people these sections. They want to see someone's video parts. So you've yeah. got to have that. So that you know. Ideally, it would be cool to just do a full-on mockumentary, but people are like, nah, you've got to remember, it's a snowboard film. Yeah. You've got to do that. I think that's where we, we sometimes have to, like, wind ourselves. Rain it in a Rain bit. It the, in, funny, yeah. the, the, the one thing I will always take away from Terminal Ferocity, so the, so the movie is actually called The Making of Terminal Ferocity, and it is about... It's Dol- obviously a Dolan voiceover? Yeah, 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 Dylan Davies from Boomerang. Just the, the Jägermeister. Get the Jägermeister. Crack it. Um, is- and... The best bit of feedback I will ever take was somebody said, so when can we actually see the movie Terminal Ferocity? <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, really? So they thought there was an actual Terminal Ferocity movie in existence and this was just the making of it that they were watching. What? No higher compliment? No. Uh, that's the thing I will always take from that's that. That's brilliant. So why did you stop doing them? Money. Oh, oh, there we go. That's the worst over. The Jaeger. Go on. Plastic. Get him in. Let's have an after um, eight. Let's <laughs> have an after eight with my Jaeger. Can, can I do a wee wee? Yeah, go for it, yeah. Christmas Jaeger a bit. Get the state of it in there already. <laughs> just, just let me know when you're ready for present number two. Are, you, are we recording? Yeah, we're recording. Have you got another present? Got you another present. Hang on. It Go is on. Christmas after all. Go on, what have you got? Lint. Oh yeah, that's a good one. This that's... is these are lint um, Christmas Santa's little helpers. Oh, let's have one of them. These are actually the probably the only chocolate brand out there that could dethrone Cadbury's lint. Different ball game, I would say. Lint, lint and Cadbury's. Well, just they're a bit creamier, aren't they? Lint. Well, yeah, I'm Switzerland's I'm, finest. I'm team lint. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Gendo. Thanks. 
little toilet break. Lint, I didn't get you anything else, sorry. Lint and Jägermeister break. Um, before we get back to the question, which was why did you stop making the films? Uh, what's your most memorable Christmas? Without a shadow of a doubt. I can't. I couldn't tell you the year. I was, <laughs> I was young. <laughs> <laughs> My most memorable. I know everything. Every detail about it. Don't know the year. <laughs> but no. Go Such on. conviction. <laughs> I wanted for Christmas anything Star Wars, anything. And what had happened was my mum went in to buy the Atat um, walker thing and she got to the till in Woolworths and she looked at the woman and she said, it's pretty pricey this, you know. And the woman looked like, did the look left, look right. And then she looked at my mum and she went, I shouldn't really say this, but these are going to be half price after Boxing Day. (laughs) So my mum went, thank you very much. So she walked back, put it back on the shelf and I woke up on the morning and had a letter from Santa Claus, and he explained that getting the attack down the chimney, he'd broken it, <laughs> and I had to go and pick it up from his sleigh. So we went to CNA in Warsaw, and we rode on Santa's Grotto, and it was this mechanical sleigh with this like UV bar- like banners that were rolling on the side, so it looked like you were on this journey to the North Pole and then on Boxing Day I went and met Santa Claus and my mum had rigged it so Santa Claus gave me the attack there and then that is top mumming that top mumming I well mean, I mean no but Christmas to like, Day would have been nice as well yeah but to like to save the money and yeah. to get away with it well and Santa hand delivered me a, an atta- the attack and you got your attack and I got the attack yeah right so that trumps everything most memorable Gens most memorable um Christmas, I don't know. I'm more thinking New Year, uh, um, getting maced on New Year's Eve. <laughs> <laughs> that was okay, right? Getting that, maced on New Millennium, Year's Eve. Millennium, Whistler. <laughs> First season in Whistler, ni- wow. 19 years old. Everyone's like, right, we're going to the village square for, for Millennium New Year. It's going to be amazing. Everyone's going to be in there. We're like, okay, cool, we'll do that. And now you have to pay $20 to get actually in the square itself right. and we were like oh we don't have to pay that we'll just kind of stand just outside of it and we'll still get the vibe so we all stood there and we don't you know had a few beers at home before we went out so we just in you know in the street getting quite rowdy around us all of a sudden we hear a minute to go oh amazing and there's a countdown for a minute oh my gosh it's millennium with cybrass and elliot and and oh can't wait all of a sudden there's like people just charged the, the barriers to try and get into the square. <laughs> and I was at the front and kind of just got pushed into like a policeman who was guarding like the, the barrier. And I just f- suddenly felt this like wet on my face. I was like, what's that? Oh, someone must have spilled beer on maced, me or something. It. And then I was like, oh, God, oh, oh. <laughs> my eyes were burning and I could just hear 10, 9, <laughs> 8. And I was like, ah, oh, where are you? And I couldn't see anyone, lost everyone, lost all my mates. To Happy New Year! I was like, oh, guys... And I was completely on my own for New Year. My eyes burning <laughs> wow. with the worst pain in my eyes. And he must have just panicked and kind of gone, and like sprayed a people mace, at the front. A mace scandal. And I was just... Clearly the most mace-worthy member well, of that crowd. What, <laughs> exactly. 20-year-old Gen. And uh, I was stumbling around for minutes, like, completely in a, like days of agony. Wow. Trying to find everyone I was with. 
And that was my millennium. Happy uh, 2000. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Blimey. That. It's not really a Christmas story. Yeah. But, um... Wow. I can't really beat that. I mean, I've had some shit New Year's, but <laughs> you definitely win. Yeah, that was a, that was a yeah. good one. Um... So where were we were saying... Um, why did you stop making the film? So yeah, what? Because you know you you went out on a high, but what was? How come you you didn't make any more? I think it was just our last season, really. It was Wasn't our last it? season. I think as as I'd found love at this point. Um, I'd moved to London. I was living the high life, razzing around on my fixed gear bike, pretending to be cool. Yeah, you all went East End and trendy, didn't East you? East End and trendy. Yeah. Um, we were. I was living in East London. I, I was doing a lot more work. I was doing a lot more TV work at this point. Yeah, is this um, about the point then that, um, you, like we talked about at the beginning, you started to kind of branch out, get a few offers, start thinking about ways that that you could you could go that was away from snowboarding. Well, I think in the first couple of movies we made, um, certainly proper, and then um, what was the next one? I asked you that earlier. Badass big ass. Uh, then show off. Oh yeah, then show off. <laughs> um, Don't miss a trick. Yeah, it's bloody hell, it's <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> The first two, I was still very much riding and trying to be a rider. And then the third and fourth movie, it was kind of like, no, I'm happy to film. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. I'll stand. That jump looks very big. I'll stand here and yeah. watch you do it. And I think at that point, I'd been snowboarding for what felt like an eternity. And I, I loved it, but I loved the, the, I didn't like the competitive side of it. I just loved the, the doing it. And, and I loved filming it. I genuinely really enjoyed making the movies and, and being out on the hill and filming everybody. And so at that point, I'd, wasn't snowboarding competitively or to try and get pictures or videos. And then, like I said, fallen in love and, and work offers were coming in and I was, it was starting to do, I was starting to do a lot more presenting and hosting and things like that, TV stuff. So I think it just naturally, it kind of came, came to the end and we'd done four and mm. you, similar thing, you had found love and you're, you know, you had a girlfriend that was, threatening a move back to Australia and there was all kinds of things. We had loads of things going on and I think the fact that you you were kind at that point you were going down the the presenting route more yeah. and we're getting jobs and I was wanting to do more directing and do and because we just done Turn Off Frosty which was kind of more kind of comedy, it was I, I kind of thought I want to do more comedy stuff and, and get away from snowboarding a bit. And I'd been offered uh, a production company like a place at a production company as a director to do more mainstreamy stuff. Was that it, Big Balls? Big Balls, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They okay. kind of said, look, we'll, if you come back to London, we'll represent you as a director. And to me, that was really exciting. So, And Tim was going to London. So it was kind of like, felt like the right time to, to move on and do something else. And at that point, we weren't really doing much presenting together. No, like, not, I, not I, at all. I wasn't really, I wasn't really um, that keen on kind of following that as much as you. I was just keen, like, I want to be a director of stuff. So and did you think then, at that point you might kind of have an amicable divorce, mm, or, or was it still you it know? Was, it, it was never it was never like a thing. It was kind of like we both just realised that we were we were never going to do a, another movie, right? And in fact, that next the next year we we did do a, we did a few more filming bits and because but but it was never big jobs. It was we did some stuff for Vans. We did a Vans podcast series which were really good fun to do. We went out and mm. did that. And then we still rode little bits. We still got away on some trips. Yeah. And we ended up filming, um, like a, again, like a mockumentary kind of fly-on-the-wall drama with Scott McMorris and Tyler Chalton called Conquering Demons. Yeah, for Oakley. For Oakley. I don't remember that. 
Have you never seen Conquering Demons? Never seen Conquering Demons. Oh, mate. We're we're in it playing ourselves. We were brought in to be snow filmers, but we're in it playing ourselves. It's a horror. It's a online drama horror. Do you know what? You have to look look hard to find it now. Maybe I have. It's on Bebo. Remember that? Mm. Social network. I was too old for that when it came out. Yeah. So it was on that, and and so we were we were still doing bits. We just weren't doing anything for ourselves under the lockdown projects banner. And also yeah. that season, we ended up filming because of Gend. Gend was still doing a lot of directing, and you were doing a lot of stuff for Roxy, weren't you? Oh yeah, I was doing a lot um, of podcasts, and we ended up filming Jason. some behind the scenes stuff on the Chalet Girl film. Oh uh, yeah, that was about well. that time, wasn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah. Oh yeah, so, I spent a lot of time doing that. Actually. Is that when yeah. Jimmy Carr got? Lobbed off that jump in a wig. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In all girls' kit, he had to be the he was the lead lead lady, leading lady. Wasn't yeah, it? chalet girl. So it, it was Everyone never... was in that, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spencer, Christian. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I did, I did some stunts. Some I did. A, I've got a rail stunt in there. Nice. Pretty big time. Yeah. Yeah. That was um, probably about ten years ago as well, wasn't it? Maybe. Um, yeah. Must have been. Right. So. You kind of moved away from it naturally, then really. I think I think it just felt the right time, I guess, and um, and I think the fact that the, the the films were getting sillier, it kind of naturally said maybe we maybe we want to move on and do. Are you glad that you, you you had you did it at that time, that because it was a particular period, sort of pre-internet, pre-everybody having phones. Very different landscape now, mm. isn't it? Super different. So that last season was the first season we got broadband in the house. Right. We rented broadband, and it it was an absolute game game changer in in a sense that you know there'd be days when you'd be like people are like oh I'm not going up, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm just going to be on the internet, and you know we'd all everyone's starting to get laptops and mobile phones, no GoPros or anything like that around or video cameras, but it was yeah it was definitely a different time. It was it was um, but it but it it just just felt right. Just yeah. felt right to not do another one. Not do, and I actually didn't do another season after that either. Do you, think, do you think you'd do another one? Another season? No, another film. That's another question that came up. That was probably... I don't know how we'd do it. I don't know I, how I don't, we'd do and it. Because, and because you'd, you'd go and... I've sometimes thought it'd be fun to do like a reunion, almost a, a kind of mockumentary about all the old boys getting together. But one, I think, who cares? No one probably cares. People who, people who follow snowboarding now... Like the kids and the, you know, the people who are into the kind of trick side of it, no one's really going to care. I mean, there might be people who kind of find it funny. But as well, it's it's more the fact that everyone would leak everything. They'd film everything on their phones and it would just, it wouldn't have the same impact. I don't know, I don't know what the angle would be, basically, or what, the, or what the reason would be to do it other than us just being a bit like, for us, if you know what I mean, to, to try and make it relevant when it's probably not really. Yeah, well, that was what the motivation be- behind all the other films, isn't it? Mm, I suppose. I've, I've got to be honest, I get very jealous now of the camera gear and editing and the technology and the GoPros and things like that. Imagine if we'd have had all that stuff. I mean, our last movie was 4.3 SD. Yeah. but it's, then, not on, it's not even online, I don't think. But then would, would it have changed? Thank you, Tim's passing How do you know when it's Christmas? Ever, all the expensive. I'll tell you how you know it's Christmas. It's when you've got Elmley double cream in instead of milk in your coffee. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty frivolous that. Yeah. No, but I, I think if if we'd have had all the camera kit in the world and all the GoPro pros, would we have changed the vibe of the film? Absolutely or, not. No. So, I, like, even now doing it, I wouldn't want to do a flashy. I, I just think it a, would look nicer. No, it would look nicer, but that but that wouldn't make it funnier. Or wouldn't make it 
I don't know. I don't think it would. That wouldn't be why I'd want to do it to, to shoot it and have more slow mos and have more GoPro like that. To me, you can see that in any edit, anything. Just Google that on the Google machine if you yeah. want it. But we'd have to do something funny it, it, for our style. I think mm. I don't know. But what that would be, I don't know. Because you've done a lot of, well, not a lot, but you've done certainly done like comedy pilots, haven't you? And you've written mm. scripts and. Is that something you'd like to explore more, like the purely creative stuff? Because you, you, you've done a lot of it, right, over the years. Had a lot of ideas. Loads of bits. There's so much random stuff. In fact, we keep threatening that what we're going to do is set up a YouTube channel. The, the thing, I think one thing we kind of missed the boat was with YouTube. We, I mean, my first video upload on YouTube, I had to do it through dial-up. It took, it was, I did it back in 2005. I mean, that's how it was. I think it was about the third or fifth video to go up on YouTube. It was like really ages ago. Yeah. But like, that's an absolute exaggeration. <laughs> um, but we missed it. And now to try and do it and people go, oh, you should have a YouTube channel. You should do this. And we just we just kind of missed the boat. We were we were ahead of the time and we were a bit like, that's never going to take off. Or, you know, no, we'll stick to the traditional TV route. But now we've missed it and it's gone and there's no point in trying to jump on it. But... We've got hard drives and hard drives of skits and bits and ideas that actually, I've been saying to Gend, I'm really keen to do a weekly drop where we drop one of our old little skits or movies or something. One of the things I'm most proud of, I don't know if we mentioned it earlier, was that we did a, we did a pilot for, um, came up with an idea and I pitched it to the, one of the guys at Red Bull Austria and it was for me and Gend because we were professional snowboarders and we're now basically we're sports motivational therapists. Oh, is this the nearly man? The nearly yeah, man. I've seen the nearly man. Yeah. We're the great. Poor performance yeah, like improving sports specialists. Fucking Mark Webber, didn't you? We ended up mm. doing it with Mark Webber. So we came up with this idea and then we, we fleshed it out again. You know, we were like, yeah, this is brilliant. So we decided to come up with this thing. We were like, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, so we filmed it with Baz Keep, Sebastian Keep, the BMXer, Red Bull athlete. Yeah. And it's basically the premise is that me and Gendel are ex-pro snowboarders and we realise that with our brilliance we can help anybody <laughs> in any field. So we've somehow been blagged in. Red Bull have taken a punt on us and we're in to help per- improve what we perceive to be their failing sports athletes programme. <laughs> so we... Uh, we we basically try and help them with loads of unorthodox me- methods. I mean, it's it's certainly not. We've not reinvented the wheel. It's not brand new comedy. But it, when I look back at it now, it's the thing I still laugh at it, every joke because I still find it really funny. And it never saw the light of day. It's 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 not how, online or how anything. come? So it went through the commissioning process, and um, it it the guy that commissioned the pilot and and he loved it, but. It would never got any higher than him up the Red Bull ladder, and I think Red Bull are, you know, they're a big serious company, and this is very much a comedy. Um, but the joke was always on me and Gend. It was never on the company or never on never the athletes. On the athletes ever. Um, do, do you think they just didn't get it? I don't know. I mean, it's it's just so subjective, isn't it? Comedy, you yeah. know, it, and it only takes one person to kind of say no, I don't find it funny. I guess I don't know, but but this it, is why I'm. This is why I asked the question about doing it yourself earlier with with famous first words and, mm. and and i did mean youtube really you know again like why wouldn't you just put that out i think, uh, we, I think we will now i think we we'll will we'll just post it soon because it's we were talking about it the other day and we're going let's just stick that up and then just see what people think of it we but, did um, do you think there's a part of it is like because because of the age that that you slash we are where, yeah. you, where you, you do sort of almost instinctively think like we've got a 
do it that way. You know, you, you need that bigger platform. I think we're traditionalists like that as well. Yeah. We both we both love our Saturday night TV. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Really, we love. You know, we we we've got that nostalgic. Let's sit around as a family and watch TV, and that's how it should be watched. And and I think when we always thought about making TV, that's all, always how it was. And we'd you know we'd meet with YouTube producers and online content producers, and you'd always feel a bit like they're not aiming high enough. They're not, but actually they are. But then yeah, it's like us. That's like, we're, we're, the, we're ones the ones that are in uh, the wrong, set in the dark ages a bit. Yeah. But then you, know, you can't help how you feel about something if you if you if you make a something that you kind of think it just feels like it should be on TV as opposed to tucked away on YouTube somewhere. And unless I don't know, I guess YouTube is just such a full time. It's just it's a machine. You are churning out content every week unless you can do that every week, which at the moment is a lot harder at our age, like you say, in our situation and t- you know families and and having a more responsibility it's a hard it's kind of feels a bit like a young man's game that seems like a cop-out i don't mean it like that but i think if and the fact that tim lives in birmingham now i'm in london we're not together every day just to film something and churn something out we don't we don't spend as much time together so i think it's harder so i think we kind of the youtube thing is i don't know it's difficult to kind of make that work I yeah think. i have a bit of that with the idea of filming these because mm. I think it's probably a good idea to film him. Uh, certainly, a lot of people use YouTube for podcasts, and you know all the all the big boys. Certainly, they're all on YouTube, mm. aren't they? Um, but I, I'm a bit the same. I, nice idea, personally. Just haven't got enough hours in the day really mm. right now to do that. It feels a little bit daunting to to kind of go, oh God, you know, like got got completely get your head around a whole new channel and yep. come up with a whole new strategy for that. But I guess like. With me, it's a bit different because I've obviously got the other thing that works. You know, mm. do you think it's like held you back a bit that that mindset in a maybe. way? Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe it totally has. Yeah, I don't know because yeah, I look at it from the outside and I don't see those issues really. I kind of think like because you've just been like, oh, you know, like I'm, we're, you know, we're not got enough time. Well, you boys work your asses off. You know, I know it's a bit different now because you've got your radio show and you know you're doing your thing. Mm. So it's not like you were sat there doing seasons together and, you know, there's there's always that, like growing up, life gets in the way. Yeah. But it's not like you don't work hard, you know. No, I mean, and, that's and it. And it's not like you don't have a really good idea and product, hate, yeah. hateful word, you know, that you could build it around, mm. that there's, a, there's an audience and an appetite for. I just wonder why you, you know, you could, it seems like a bit of an obvious avenue to me, really. Yeah. I think... You know, when you read in interviews with people or you're listening to interviews and it's people that have done things and, and they're perhaps leaders in their field or they're this or they're that, and you hear them saying that a lot of them will say, oh, I lived for four years and I ate bread and I picked rice out of the gutter and that's how I survived. <laughs> I, I feel like I've never taken that risk. And it's, you know, to go back to the YouTube thing, and certainly we've got a friend of ours that's, um, uh, he does a lot of online content um, Richard Welsh and we've worked with him on a few things and he he every time we see him or every time he emails us he'll say when are you doing your YouTube channel when are you boys going to start doing stuff online you'll be massive it'll be this blah 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 and blowing our own trumpet here but he always always championed us and well, he's I, I such agree a him. lovely guy when are you going to do it why aren't you doing it you should be doing it do it and when you come away from meeting him you're like yeah here's a content plan so this week I'll do this da 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 and it, and, it, and I think and 
me having kids, three kids, I'm at that position in my life where I can't afford to eat rice out of the gutter and bread every month. It's it's I've become accustomed to this lifestyle, and I think for me, you're right. Life got in the way, really, a little bit, um, and you that kind of having to go to work and do a paid job as opposed to taking a, the plunge and going for it. Yeah, I I, I, do you think part of it as well is the fact that we you've been quite comfortable in snowboarding in a way in the, in that scene you know maybe like because you did have those opportunities with with the lockdown and you kind of had had a pretty cushy gig you know for a mm. while do you think maybe that was i think i think we've always we've always loved having that kind of like the roots in snowboarding and i think and you're you're kind of more involved with snowboarding now doing commentary and things like that and and definitely it's, you're still more in it than i am um but I think we've, we 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 tried for ten years trying to get the TV thing going, and yeah. like, and we've done you know done a fair few shows now. But it's almost like it was it was always really hard to to get to that next level. Similar how Ed taught on your podcast that like to do the mainstream thing. It was yeah, like, Ed said, it is such a massive leap. Yeah, Ed said he got to the point, didn't he, where he kind of just thought, actually, you know, I've got a good thing going on. Yeah, in this particular pond, you know. I mean, God, yeah, me and Ed have worked on TV ideas together. And, yeah. You know, you've worked with him and, well, we've all done, you know, we've all had ideas over the years, haven't we, to try and do stuff. And mm. it, is, it is extremely difficult. And it is, it is, I think it's always been with us, is like someone, we've always wanted someone to give us that next, it's always someone giving you that next chance on that next level. Well, that's and what that's... I meant earlier when I said, like, it's almost like you're asking for permission, you know, you're asking, yeah. you're asking I'm completely guilty of that. You know, mm. I'd say this podcast, the first thing where I just completely thought you know what fuck that i'm gonna do exactly what i want mm. like and not worry about what anyone else thinks of it and see where that takes me but previously with all the other endeavors that i've done i definitely had that mindset where i was a bit like you know waiting for somebody to commission me or waiting for somebody mm. to give me permission to sort of take it further and i think personally with me that was very much a product of of you know like being on the cusp of both eras like traditional media yeah where that was what it was you needed a break yeah you needed to sign a record deal or get a commission you know we joked about the alan partridge thing earlier but that is what that's about really isn't it yeah and then now the the generation where that isn't what you need to do at all no they you just do it you just, you just go and do you it just do it and it's taken me personally a long time to actually get my head around that because i'm a bit and of an old fart you know like but whatever i just mean it's. I wonder if that's what's gone on with you boys a little bit. Because just as somebody that's obviously very close friends with you both, knows what good ideas you've got, knows how hard you've yeah. worked, you know, I, that, that's definitely been something I've, I've thought might have been at play there. I think that's definitely how we saw Famous First Words, though. Yeah. Going back to at that point, we were a bit like, okay, well, maybe this avenue's not working. Let's just make something. Yeah. And we knew and that. It's, and it's that, worked. That as a, as a vehicle, that's not, that's not as going... Me and Tim think we're really good presenters and really funny, and we should have a show or something like that. That's going. It doesn't matter about us. This, it's this idea. It is the thing. Is the strength like famous first words? It, you know, the strength of the, of the of the whole thing is that idea and that game, and we love it. And let's use that as a as a vehicle to kind of have some fun and, and do something we love to do, and that kind of works really has worked really well in the last few years. Uh, and it's given us a chance to kind of do stuff together and hang out and work together and um, and build something that's not necessarily based purely on me and Tim. 
it's a it's a show, you know. Yeah, and is that something that you need to guard against? Because I'm sure that must come up a bit, really. You know, if you come as a package, mm. occasionally, I imagine that can cause problems. You know, because you, you know you might have a radio thing on, you might have your thing on, because you do a lot of stuff separate, as you've been saying. Mm. So is that quite? Can can that be difficult to balance? Like if you very can, much yeah. so. It's, it's every day. I mean, we we share calendars. <laughs> you know, he has. I have his calendar on my phone. He has my calendar, and whenever I can't do something, I'll drop it on. And whenever he can't do something, it pops up. And it, it's it is hard. And it and it. But it's also that. Well, hey, we've got a gig, and I'll say, right, well, I'll do it without you, and he'll go, well, I don't really want you to do it without me because that gig is a good showcase for us to do it. And I'll go, all right, and you know, vice versa. He'll say can you do this? And I'll be like, I can't do it. And he'll say, well, I need to pay rent this month. So I've kind of got to do it. And I'm like, oh, all right, we'll yeah, do it with someone else. But it's, um, it, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Mm. It is hard. Yeah. And he's still pitching ideas that almost might force the issue at some point, you know, because if you do get, let's say somebody comes along and says, right, lads, ITV, famous first words, it's happening. You know, that's, that's going to, mean decisions need to be made presumably I think we're, we're absolute realists at this point and to go back to I think we mentioned it earlier about all these meetings that we've had and all the all the things we've been to and ideas we've pitched we understand now that it, it isn't about us and actually certainly with famous first words it's it's a good idea that that will probably end up running without us it will be an Ant and Deck that will do it well probably not Ant whoa, and whoa, Deck whoa 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 Rylan. Rylan, yeah, and, and Stephen Mulhern. <laughs> um, but it'll be, you know, because no. we don't have the profiles. I mean, obviously, we'd love to be involved in it, and primarily that's what we want it to happen. But if it does, you know, if ITV jump on it all of a sudden and go, right, we would cling on to it for as long as we could to try and be involved and to pitch ourselves in. And certainly the production company that we're with, they want us to be involved. I mean, the, the exec of the TV of the TV production that we're with He's been to the night six or seven times. He'll come stands at the back and gets hammered and absolutely loves it. He loves the night. He loves us. So he'll champion us all day long, which which was a bit of a factor with going with them as well, you know, because we want to be associated with it. But if it's a case of ITV say, yeah, we're going to give you £25 million for this idea or whatever, but it's going to be Holly Willoughby and Phil doing it, then, yeah, we'll have to just let go of it. But yeah. hopefully we can still be involved in a creative side, just to make sure that the game itself retains that kind of ethos and fun. Yeah. We do do it best, though. We do do it the best. Well, I mean, of course. No, I mean, it goes without saying. Of course. Um, do you have a favourite ever performer slash guest? On what, on Facebook? Yeah. Have you, is is uh, there, like, one standout? My standout moment is it's a proper X Factor Britain's Got Talent moment, and we were doing... It was the first year we were doing The Fringe, and it was a Saturday night, and I remember it clearly because there were random groups it was like there was a stag group there was a hen group there were a group of gays a group of lesbians there were business colleagues there was you could spot them they just were you know all these groups yeah and about halfway through the night we dropped the song writings on the wall sam smith <laughs> and this hand <laughs> flew up at the back and i we stopped the track you sir blah blah, blah. and all of a sudden the crowds parted and it was this guy and from the top up, he was in a nice shirt, nice dress shirt. And he'd, from the waist down, he was still in his workman trousers and work boots. He'd come straight off the job, thrown a shirt on, and he was there on stage. And he went, hey, I'm Gary from Glasgow. <laughs> and he was the gruftiest dude ever. And I was like, oh, 
God, this is going to be absolutely ridiculous. He went, oh, and everyone went, Glasgow, way, and everybody cheered him. And like, you ready, Gary? He's like, yeah, please play, I got this. And we pressed play. And, oh, my God, he sang it better than Sam Smith. He absolutely knocked it out. He had the voice of an angel, this guy, this grufty workman. And the place erupted. I had pimples all on my arms, goose pimples. It was ridiculous. One, I mean, every show I've I've uh, been to kind of has a moment like that, doesn't it, yeah. where, you, where somebody who you're just like, oh, my God. Like, well, I was just They're gonna go. never going to know it. And then, and then they just absolutely smash it. I mean, it's, it's the unexpected one. It's one of the things that, that's so good about it. Yeah. Who, how about you, Gan? I'm trying to. Th- I'm honestly trying to think. What? Uh, oh, there's just so many. I mean, I like the one. The getting it wrong ones are the ones that stay with me. Yeah. So what's the best um, one of them? I don't know. Maybe the guy at the fringe who did living on a prayer. <laughs> We've had it twice now. The phenomenon of get singing the second line of living on a prayer instead of the first line. Right. But singing it with so, with so much conviction. This guy comes up. We've got it on vid- on our Instagram. Um, because the guys, the guys' mate sent us the clip because we were like, "Get yeah, send us that, we need it." And he, <laughs> this guy goes on stage, so much conviction, dancing, the whole dun, intro, pointing at the crowd, rusting at the women on the front. And you're like, "This guy's going to nail it." This is just it, like without a doubt, it's on there. And he just goes straight in with. Gina works the diner all day. <laughs> Everyone's like, "No." And but so much belief in himself that that was the first words. And it, and and it, it actually wasn't. scanned as well, like the and first it, words. So yeah. it did work. Yeah. It, like, oh, it, fit, it fit, but it was perfectly. You know, it was yeah. wrong. We've got another a friend of ours as well who um, is quite cocksure. He's like, he's ever so funny. Come on, name Love names. Him to bits. Um, uh, I can't think of his name. <laughs> I know he's Matt Ashworth. Oh, Mashwell. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Mashwell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mashwell. I couldn't think of it. I could only think of his nickname, Mashwell. What's his actual name? Matt, Matt Ashwell. Matt Ashwell. Mashwell, we call him. And he's helped us out loads with famous first words. He's he's a real good good dude. He's helped us like with loads of social stuff. And so Mashwell comes down, and no hand goes up for um, Fleetwood Mac everywhere. My wedding song. Yeah. So he his hand goes up. So he comes up, and everyone's like, "Whoa!" And he stands there, and he starts going, "Ding ding 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 ding," and he turns to me and getting goes. This one's all about timing, lads. And then he goes, ding, ding, ding. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, he gets the timing wrong after turning to us and going, this one's all about timing. And then he gets the timing wrong. We lost the use of our legs. We hit, we crumpled me again. The lyrics pretty much kicked in as he was winking at us. Yeah. And he was too late. It's it's perfectly uh, set up, though, isn't it, to like, Bring out the people who've got big egos and make them look like absolute dickheads. Yeah, isn't it? like it's that's one of the funniest bits about it. Definitely, people that come up with it just like, oh, you know, when they're too busy showboating, it's too busy showing, and, and the lyrics are in, come in, and they're like, <laughs> oh, oh. Oh, that's so good. Time for another Christmas question. Go on. What do you want for Christmas? Let's assume, I given want... that it's Christmas Day, you've received your presents. What... If I have, if I'm not unwrapping, um. The Making Gains book, Project Gains, what's it called? The Team GB book? That, oh, Radical um, Gains. Radical Gains. Radical Gains. I, I, I wrote a chapter in that, in fact. Did you? And edited it, yeah. That's the book I want for Christmas. It's very and if good. I'm not opening that book, and if I'm not opening the new Beastie Boys book, there will be trouble. You might have to... <laughs> might be ruining the magic here. 
it's, it's not actually Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah. You might want to order that because there's only about 100 copies, I think. My I Beastie left Boys. It. Radical Games. Oh. Oh, I think that'd be more than uh, the Beastie, <laughs> Beastie Boys. Boys. <laughs> I, um, I, my, I... <laughs> I've got the inside line on the Beastie Boys, but yeah. there's only 100. I was say, how do you know that? <laughs> uh, so on... Sam Mellish's uh, Instagram, I tagged my wife and I went with Christmas coming winky emoji. Sam has worked his arse off on that book. Yeah. I really looking followed, forward to seeing it, followed actually. The, followed the team for two years and uh, poured everything into it. Yeah, it's really good. It's great. Yeah, Ed did a chapter. I did a chapter. Pat Sharples did one and Leslie did one. Wicked. I'm, I'm quite excited at the thought of you listening to this podcast on Christmas Day with Lucy and you haven't got it. <laughs> <laughs> Should we divorce? You're like, oh. Yeah. Should we making sprouts for four instead of five? How about you, Gun? I don't know. I don't. Oh. Are you are you difficult to I'm, buy for? No, I'm yeah. not. I'm just. Uh... Yeah, he is. Tim's like, yeah. Because <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because if he wants something, he just goes and gets it. Well, not, he never waits. Not anything. I'm just not a big consumer. In that way. I no. can't think of things. I'm just not oh. a big consumer. That Are my sounds... Bose Bluetooth headphones charged <laughs> yet? <laughs> I yeah. don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'd like a new GoPro. Yeah, the, the seven. One with yeah. the stabilisation. Big time. They look cool, don't I they? I love one of them. But I'm going to be in Sri Lanka for Christmas. So I just, Very nice. I just want waves, man. Yeah, how's that's the surfing? That's why he needs his GoPro stabilised. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It'll be It'd be like me when I was in Canada. Yeah. I had that really good powder day. Yeah. And I was like... You know what? I'm going to get the GoPro out, yeah. and you ripped me for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I knew I was going to get ripped because that is so not me. Yeah. That is like the least me thing ever. Yeah, it but is. I actually, had a selfie stick and everything. I was like, "What? It's, it's too good." Yeah, he did. It's, you had a selfie stick. You should see it. It's man. too good. It's brilliant. And I saw you, and you were like, "You'll like, regret that." Disgusted. That's funny. You you doing that? But that'll be you in Sri Lanka. I will. Yeah. How's, how's it going? The surfing. Um, You've done the rite of passage that all middle-aged snowboarders do. Yeah, it's getting there. Decided you're going to start surfing. Well, it's just, I don't know. You, it, it gives back, doesn't it? Snowboarding takes away. Snowboarding makes you feel worse at, at it every time you Do you, you remember go. that day in Lax we had, me and you? Oh, yeah. Last year. Yeah, yeah, We were yeah. going through the park. And we, <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were suicidal by the time we got to that chairlift, weren't yeah. we? We were yeah. like, we both just sat there in silence and then... Like, yeah, that, that was shit, wasn't it? Like, yeah, that was really hard. <laughs> it's really hard and everyone's really good, aren't like, they? Look how good everyone is. Look, legs, how sh- look how shit we are. My legs hurt a bit. How about you, mate? Yeah, yeah like, yeah, should we go and get a coffee? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll just sit down. Properly. My feet have got pins and needles. Yeah, but it's, I'm the same. Get worse at snowboarding every year. Yeah. At least you can see a glimmer of progression in surfing. It's all right in powder. Like, if you have a good powder day and you can razz around. And I went to Japan... Um, in January, and it was amazing, and I felt really good on my snowboard after a few days of getting the legs back. Yeah, first that few days free ride world tour. That's free ride world tour. Yeah, and it was um, I had about two weeks there, and it was he wasn't competing on the free ride world tour. <laughs> yeah, luckily, uh, just luckily. Luckily. yeah. Um, but that was that. You feel good in powder, and when it's like that, those conditions, but ragging around on pistes now, I just feel I just I feel worse. I, feel like I can't do tricks that I used to do. It's hard work, but with surfing, you get every day. Well, apart from when you get absolutely battered. Yeah, that's like part of the fun, though, isn't it? Yeah. I still fondly remember your backside three attempts when we were in Chamonix. You remember that? <laughs> when we were um, John O's 40th, and we were all riding around Flagere, and there's that little hump. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dignity stripper. That was brilliant. It's like, how's he, how's he got his body in that position? Yeah. So good. You've not got into the surfing yet, have you? 
It's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say something controversial. It's shit surfing. <laughs> it's fucking cliquey. It's hard to get into. You're in the wrong place. It's a chore. Yeah, there's a lot of... I don't know. I've a... never had one good day or one good wave. And so maybe that's the hook. But you haven't been much. No. You don't go. That'll, well, that'll be a problem. Change that. Nah, you're all right. I still love my snowboarding. Yeah, you, you, you still froth, don't you? Soon, I'd sooner spend money to go snowboarding. Yeah, have you got any trips lined up? How often None. are you boys getting away? I have actually. I've got... Um, uh, I'm working at the Larks Open. Are you Larks? In, Larks in, in, in January? Yeah. Are you doing the commentary for the stream, for the Red Bull Yeah, feed? was that with Jack Matrani? It, well, I don't know who it is this year. But you've done it... Have you done I have it? done it with Jack before, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that yeah, he's like a good a, dude. A fun gig. It's wicked. I, I'm. I still like he said. I still froth over snowboarding. I'm still geeky and I, I love it. And I do love commentary. It's 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 a chance for me to be a bit silly but a bit serious as well. How scripted are your lines? Uh, not not at all. Other than think if I'm in the shower, I'll think of something. And yeah. I won't write it down. Yeah. Um, well, you can't in the shower. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> you could, could if you had one of them special Christmas underwater in, pens. In steam. Put it on the list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, not really scripted at all. It's just, uh, I just try and make, when I do it with Ed, I just try to make Ed laugh. Right. See if I can make him lose his train of thought. Yeah. How was it, the Olympics? It was the best. I should ask you about it, really. Because that was another thing that everyone was asking, said I should ask you about. Um it was wicked. A privilege, a real privilege. It looked like a really good bit of camaraderie yeah. amongst everybody. Even as well with like the, you know, like you and like Todd Richards, for example. And well, it's funny. I listened to the the Edley Looking Sideways podcast, the number two one he did, and and he was talking about that row, the row of com- uh, commentary booths. So you had like Jan Simon, Jan Simon, legend. Um, you boys have known him. For he's years. a legend. Yeah, yeah. he's a great dude, isn't he? Todd Richards, Matthew Crapel, Jerman Bratton. You know, every country had their lead commentator, so their Edley, uh, and then the expert, and then it was me. So I felt like I was obviously nowhere near any of them snowboard level, but the simple fact that I was kind of mixing it up amongst all them lot was was a real privilege, and, you know, it's something to be really proud of. And I am really proud of it, and, you know, for my mum and dad, it was wicked, and my nan, you know, I saw what I got back, and my nan had clipped my name out of the Radio Times. It was on a pin board. Tim Warwood presents the commentary from uh, well, yeah, Sochi well, first you, you of were all. A breakout hit, weren't you? You know, you boys over here for sure in the UK. Like the, it was it was massively popular. You know, I saw Catelyn Moran tweeting about it. I know that was nuts. You know, going like, check out the snowboard guys. That really irked my little sister. That did because she's a mass, she's a stand up comedian. Oh really? She hates the fact that Catelyn Moran tweeted about us. Why does she hate that? I don't get it. Because she hates the fact that she's given me she's recognition jealous. or jealousy. That's yeah, brilliant. Yeah. That's great. In, in a good way. She's, yeah, I yeah. think she's proud secretly. But Yeah, no, it was um, it was good. And I, I've had a, f- a few people talk to me. There was one guy that said it was all a front, you know, you put it on. And he and he kept saying to me... What, a, a random? Like a, a... I must be careful because, well, he's not my boss anymore, but he was my boss here at the radio. Right. And he said, but you put it on, didn't you? You, you like, turned it up. And I said, no. And he went, no, but... That's not how you normally do it. You did that because you knew everyone was listening. You twist, turned it up. I was like, no, that's genuinely how we do commentary and how I do it. It's how it's done. It's it's not a. You went, yeah, but you, you were 
you knew people starting to listen, so you cranked it up more, didn't you? And you were going a bit more zany. And I went, well, I've got to be honest, no. Why, just... well, why? I don't see, who cares? But that isn't yeah. that like what you should do? Yeah, if like, that's what good, I mean. If you're like... kind of getting a good response from something in yeah. being a certain way and being how you and Ed yes. were being, and you're hearing, wow, this is going down quite well back home. Did you're you, probably did... going to do it a bit more. It's a good question, though, actually. Did you, we were aware of the response that it was getting back home. A little bit, yeah, just because of Twitter and your friends, and you, I guess it's when, when say for instance, you you know, if Gendel was to text me, be like, oh man, it's you know going down really good. I just think that's him being polite and my best you, mate. Didn't you actually. texted me, yeah, you did, yeah. yeah. Thank you, it was a very lovely text to get. But well, when I knew, it hits I knew, home, I knew you'd because you, you're quite, you can be quite insecure about it, and I, and I knew, yeah. and I know that, so that's why I was about, I was like, he'll be stressing about this, yeah, and I just wanted to say. You're killing it, because it, you were. It, it's nuts to think that when you flick over... To, certainly in Sochi, not so much in South Korea because of the time difference, but Sochi, four years earlier, was nuts when it would flick to... You'd flick... So so you're commentating on the... The event happens regardless. TV will choose when to join you and when to join your sport. So you'll be chatting away and you'll be like, and next to drop will be Anna Gasser from Austria, and you'll hear in your ear, hi, it's Jenny in Salford, in Manchester. Hi, it's Jenny in Salford, take a pause and you just shut up instantly. So you've got to not say anything, even though Anna is now riding, and then in your ears you hear Claire Balding or whoever's presenting the show. She'll be like, oh, and um, so thanks for joining us on BBC Two. There's a lot of action going on in the women's now. Anna Gass are currently on the course. Let's hold over to our commentary booth, Ed Lee and Tim Warwood. And then you'd hear the director go, cue boys, and Ed would come in. Thanks for joining us here up at the Rosa Cuta. Go classic, Ed Lee. And your pulse starts racing. And you're thinking, I'm on network. We're on BBC Two. And at that point, your phone goes... And just starts going nuts. Hey, mention me. Yeah. You're on air. Don't say fuck or don't, you know, it's nuts. People sending you pictures. It's like it's bedlam. And at that point, you then have to gulp. Because you've you've been up, we've been up there since seven o'clock, eight o'clock, watching practice, digesting it all, to then all of a sudden, you, you've been commentating for three hours. You're into the final runs. You've got you've got twenty minutes left of the contest. BBC Two joins you. Now you've got everyone. You've got four million viewers listening to what you're saying, and that's pretty. It's pretty nuts. That. Can you can you get used to it? Do you, do you kind of get to the point where you're like com- like comfortable with that? Or is it always quite stressful? Because Todd Richards said he he said he found it like competing. He said it was, it was as nerve wracking as dropping in uh, yeah. for the snowboarding. Yeah, know? definitely. I think yes, definitely nervous. I think my say the my two saving graces was the first one. The bosses, the immediate bosses in in BBC bosses there were really supportive and they were like, "It's brilliant. Just keep doing what you're doing." And even with Sochi, the the previous Olympics when we got a lot of flack from the Daily Mail and stuff. Um, they the, were still very sportive. Because like, of the Don't, Jenny thing. Yeah, yeah, ignore them, just keep going, you're doing brilliantly. So that was really nice. But also, and this is quite big-headed to say, I, I, I do know we're good. We know the sports. We know, yeah, we get a few tricks wrong and whatever, but we know the sports, we know the stories. We kind of know what the guys are going through, although we've never competed in Olympics. You know, me and Ed have both competed. Yeah, you're, you're, you're snowboarders. Yeah. You get it. And, and they trust you. Yeah, and at the end of the day, we go down at the bottom and you'll ride past Sean White and be like, hey, what's going on? You know, no cameras, no nothing around. And so you, I know that I've got that approval from them. So whatever I'm saying I know has that approval, which in turn, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's my set proper saving grace is that I don't think anybody knows it. You know, there are other commentators, but... 
certainly anybody that gives you flack. Yeah. Like if you gave me flack or Ed gave me flack or any of the riders gave me flack, that would hurt yeah. more than anybody else. Yeah, yeah. But I don't, I think we kind of get it right, really. So. Yeah. I need, mm. another, I need another wee. This is very middle-aged. Go away. Quick wee's. Very middle-aged, I mean. Recording. Who bought the, who bought the lemon and lime Jaffa cake? The taste of Christmas. What are you thinking? <laughs> who bought them? Um, they are uh, the Have girl, we... the producer here at the studio. Um, the Sound Sam. of Twiglets. Yeah, the Sound of Twiglets. They're Sam's boyfriend, um, Jamie. He works for McVitie's. So... We pay him one pound and he brings us a Santa sack of McVitie's biscuits. Really? Do you have a favourite Christmas tradition? There's a lot yeah. of them. Well, it's it's quite a cliche one, but it's one present on um, Christmas Eve, opening one present from under the tree. Cheating. Well, that's um, a family thing, is it? Mm. What, you all open one each? Yeah. Do you? From under the tree. Obviously, Santa's not been yet, so we can't open right. any because Santa's not been, but any why, from under the tree. Why the under the tree then? Like the ones from your family, aren't they? Okay. Your mum and dad or your brother and sister. About you guys? Um, oh, tradition. A Dan Banger. <laughs> She's my dad's cocktail that he makes. A Dan Banger. <laughs> yeah. What's in that? Which is basically a Harvey Wall Banger, but my dad makes it. So it's a Dan Banger. Right. We always have them. Yeah, I've had one of them. Have them about 11 a.m. <laughs> yeah, that's a, well, that's a, that's a wake, wake up at six pm. Yeah, that's a that's a tradition, isn't it? Yeah. Strong booze early on. Yeah, you know, after breakfast. Yeah, chocolates in it. Chocolates at six am. Is there any more Lent actually? Yeah, there is. Uh, Gendal's gone. Uh, yeah, go on. Chocolate. Can I have an after eight minutes as well? Mm-hmm. As long as you don't rustle the sleeves. Ooh. Uh, so we didn't we didn't well, really talk about trips. We've all done loads of trips, snowboard trips. We used to do a yearly one. Pretty much every every season I'd do one with you. Mm. Wouldn't I, Matty? What did we do? We did America, kind of New York, well, New York and East Coast. And Vermont, then, yeah. Vermont and then uh, Japan. You've done so much travelling. Iran. Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan. Iran, for me. Best trip I ever did, snowboarding. Yeah, okay. Iran was good. Was, yeah. um, well, we got lucky with the snow as well, didn't we? Yeah. And then we had amazing guides who were brilliant. Yeah. Who really looked after us. And we did a really fuckwitted thing, didn't we? Where we um, assumed we could pay for the guides by credit card. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was like eight grand. Oh, yeah. For, I kind of erased that from my memory of that, the stress of that. Well, you and were we kind were of like, in charge. Just, you know, we were like, they were like, do you know about that? 8,000 pounds. Yeah. Like, cause, so we went to Iran and because we were doing a story, I organised that trip. And you could get a, a media visa or a normal visa. And I thought, well, we'll get the media visas just to be safe. Because I didn't know, you know, you, you can't, yeah. oh, we it's ran, ran and, you know, blah, blah, which was ludicrous in the end because it was such a lovely place. But in doing that, we had to get these official government guides. And that was, and you had to book it through the government. So, and it was a lot of money. Like, I got the mic to pay for it. I think we got sponsors to pay for it. There was five of us, though, weren't there? So between mm. us, it was like a grand and a bit each. And for that, we got two guides and drivers like and, and cars and hotel you know we've got everything so it was it was kind of it's not as bad as it sounds oh, okay and at the end of the trip um mahmoud the the guide was like right you need to pay i was like cool did you take credit card and he was like he, he like openly laughed in my face and was like well of course i don't because there's sanctions from you know your country's got sanctions on mine so you've got to pay cash and I, so i was like oh okay well we better go to the bank then and he was like well you can't do that because there's no western banks over here 
So he was a he just thought it was hilarious, didn't he? He was just mm. like, guys, you're so naive. Like you just think you can come to Iran and pay by credit card. And I was like, oh, well, what are we gonna do? <laughs> what are we gonna do about <laughs> <Yeah>. this? <laughs> so he's like, well, we've got another um, trip coming out. It was a BBC trip, and they were making a documentary about religion, and they were going to like a couple of the sites that we'd been actually. So I ended up phoning this woman in London. No, I ended up phoning and said to her, look, this is a, this is pretty weird, but I'm in Iran and I need you to bring me £8,000 <laughs> in your hand luggage and my mate's going to drop it off from Brighton. And unbelievably, she said, yeah. She just was like, yeah, that's fine. Just time to come to the office. I bet you, were, oh, I bet because it was TV, she was probably a bit like, yeah, okay. This yeah, used to this so, I phone, so I then phoned my mate, a good friend of ours, Grant, in Brighton and was like, can you do me a favour? Can you lend me eight grand <laughs> and then take it to this woman in London who's going to fly it to Iran? And and he was, so obviously he was like, well, have you been kidnapped? And we were like, <laughs> and I was like, no, like just, I'll tell you when we get home, like basically. That would have been a brilliant rumour. Well, it, well oh, when, when, we got, got when we got back though, everyone was a bit like, what the fuck was that all about? Yeah. And um, we met them for dinner, didn't we? Yeah. And they were like, "You fuckwits!" Like Ooh, the, the TV company. Yeah, they were like, they were like, "Well, we, they just thought it was funny." They yeah. were like, "What on earth? Like, you bun- what's your bunch of snowboarders who've brilliant tooled your way around Iran and then done that?" So it was like the original Argo. Argo, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like it inspired really... Ben Affleck. It was like Got a... back to Ben Affleck and he was like... It was like hey. a really tame Argo. <laughs> yeah. Although the thing about Argo, the thing about Argo is like that final scene is literally them getting through customs. Yeah. And they make it so tense. I was watching that yeah. film and I was like, imagine writing that in the script. Like, you know, there's like 20 minute scene where they're shuffling along a customs line. Yeah. But they managed to make it like ridiculously dramatic. Pretty good film. Anyway, that was a memorable one. We went to yeah, Lebanon, didn't we? Lebanon was our trip. Yeah, and you, um, I remember you ran out of batteries on your camera, and that woman, yeah, took you in a house, didn't she? Yeah, and let us charge your batteries. Unplugged the, the tally that the, that the husband was watching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and again, just really amazing people. And when you tell people you've been to Lebanon, they're like, "Oh my god, Lebanon! What was that like?" And blah, blah. just brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, it was funny. That's where I had my probably had my first cup of coffee. What? Remember we had <laughs> whatever, yeah, ever in Lebanon. I reckon no. We had that rocket fuel stuff. Can you remember? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I didn't realize that was your first coffee though. Yeah, I've been an addict ever since. Wow. So, what are your favourite memories of snowboarding? You uh, two? Well, I don't know. Yeah, I was definitely going to say Iran, because um, it's a long. No, it's a long. It's a long sort of association we've discussed during this conversation. Yeah, you know? a lot of different phases for both of you. I guess we should think of ones together. Really? Because, I mean, because we, we did a lot of trips, White Lines trips, you, me you and you, Matt. the crazy made, thing is? We haven't done a load of snowboarding together, have not, we? Not really? Lo- not a load of trips, but, like, I guess season time. seasons and ragging around. and We did... We went to a John O'Verity, obviously friend, mutual friend of all of us. His 40th birthday, I thought, was brilliant. We were all just riding around Yeah, together. that was good. We had that fun that trip nice. to Switzerland. About five years ago. Oh, to Ker- Curve Alden. Curve Alden. That was yeah, good. That, that was, was fun. That was really good. Just just snowboarding around. I just was so, so lucky. You know, when you listed off those names then of all the places you've you've been, Uzbekistan, Iran, Russia, here, there, all over North America. It's I, pretty ridiculous. I think this is gonna sound cheesy, right? And you'll laugh. Well, 
He's going to say the snow dome. No. You're going to say Grand Prix, rump, big rump, 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 no, snow rump boys. No, rump not, boys. <laughs> let's take it back to the rump boys. Well, yeah, but I wasn't going to say that. I was basically going to say I think that I think highlights that I think look back really fondly and it made me think of it today because we talked about it as us sitting in our office in Brighton and, and literally sitting back to back at our, at our uh, desks and kind of rooting through the footage and literally, I suddenly can hear Tim laugh. Like, I can, and I'm like, what? What you got? Watch this. And it was that every day of like, look at this, is funny. This Reliving our season. This is funny. Yeah. And just quoting things that people say in the video and like having this weird inside joke about all the footage that it was just in that office building those films. That, that little was, weird uh, office. That little, that little yeah. ghetto office yeah. in the basement yeah. down by the level. But we basically uh, sat in all summer and, and went through all the footage doing those films. But that, I don't know, that because you were kind of like reliving it all and, um, and building those films and that was that was probably a, a good memory of snowboarding even though we're not on a mountain, you know. Timo? I went and worked at the U, the Burton US Open in 2016, 15? I can't remember when it was. A couple of years ago when I worked at the Burton US Open, did the commentary. And it's the first time I'd been back in Vail for years. And I did eight winters in Vail, Colorado. So I know that mountain pretty well. And the first day, my bag didn't arrive, so I had to go. I went snowboarding in my jeans. Um, I had a rental board, rental boots, and I went up on the hill. My brother came. My brother came down from, he lives in Indiana, and he came down to spend the, the week with me. We both went snowboarding, and it was like going back in time. Every jump, you, when you know a mountain so well, when you know your favourite run and you're riding down, it's, you're on autopilot and you cut across on your toes and then you look on your heels and you cut right across and there's a hit there and you come down and then you dip round the back of the tree and just, just, and that's, and it was exactly the same. And it took me back and I just shredded around Vale or on the pistes, just little jumps and 180s and flying and... I think that's been my best memory for years of just that day in my that's jeans. That's nice because that's just a normal day as well, isn't it? Yeah. That's not like a crazy trip no. or because that's what snowboarding is, though, isn't it? Them days, really. Yeah. You know, yeah. for every like fancy trip or experience like that, a lot of it is just razzing around, isn't it? Sliding down the hill on a bit of wood. That was what was funny about the Jono 40th trip. Yeah. Because it was just us lot yeah. tooling around, wasn't hunting it? Hunting around. Yeah. Hurting ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. We gotta go. Yeah, I got a train to catch. Yeah, thanks for doing it, boys. How was it? Absolute pleasure. pleasure. Thank yeah. you for having us. Yeah, God, no Thank, worries. Yeah, yeah. thanks, mum. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas, and everyone. To everyone, <laughs> I was about to say that you oh, knew sorry. you'd beat me. Go on. Hey, out there, Merry Christmas, everyone. I went to try to go low, like it was kind of like moving. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry, the last word. Merry yeah. Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> hey, all of you. But all of you, Merry Christmas. And Happy New Year. So there you go. That was my Christmas special with Tim and Gendall. Hope you enjoyed it. I had a great laugh doing that with the boys. It was even worth the eight-hour journey home from Birmingham to Brighton. I endured the next day because the trains were all buggered up. If you did enjoy it, perhaps you might like to head over to my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com, where you'll find a load of resources to enhance your listening pleasure. Like what? Like full show notes with links to all the interesting shit we discussed. 
including links to uh, all Tim and Gandalf's Lockdown Projects films. And while you're there, you might also consider signing up to my newsletter, which I put out once a week and features the five things I think are worth sharing from the action sports world that week. Anyway, housekeeping corner. And given that it's the end of the year, I find myself in a reflective mood, as I imagine a lot of you are. I mean, I love Christmas, especially that time between Christmas and New Year, but it is a relentless nostalgia fest that is almost custom designed to make you gaze long and hard inwardly at your own short and long-term life choices. And understandably, that can be quite difficult at times. Anyway, happily for me, it's been a good year in the world looking sideways. And in the 12 months I've seen the podcast hit heights I never saw coming really when I first had the idea a couple of years ago. I've enjoyed a massive number of listens, regular feedback from the growing army of Looking Sideways listeners. I've sold a bit of merch. I've been on some brilliant trips to the snow and surf with friends old and new. I've met some of my idols. And I've generally watched proudly as this thing has taken on a life of its own. Undoubtedly, the highlight of the year has been the interactions I've been fortunate enough to have with the great Looking Sideways listening public who continue to get in touch each week. And let me know how much the podcast is affecting them take david henderson a listener who got in touch this week offered me the run of his place in croyd apparently he's got a hot tub nice one next time i'm down there so i've got a good base from which to record a few podcasts i mean pretty generous right why because the podcast has been a welcome i'm quoting now a welcome distraction recently through some dark times as my wife battle battles cancer with a smile and courage blimey i mean i get humbling emails and messages like that a lot these days and i'm just extremely grateful for it really so please keep them coming because it does mean a lot elsewhere another highlight of the year was undoubtedly doing the final mile swim with Ross Edgeley and another 300 swimmers at the end of his great British swim the day after me and Tozer had been on board Hecate to interview him for episode 59 don't mind admitting I got pretty choked up when Ross approached that big crowd of 300 swimmers a mile out in the freezing Margate Sea great moment happy to be part of it I also enjoyed a really great trip to Ireland with some friends where we were fully looked after by all the locals, got some great waves, and I got a great interview with Shambles, which was brilliant. I had a great trip to Chamonix in January with James Stentiford, scored two top powder days, then took, ticked off the interview, had balls up the previous autumn. Another day that stands out was in March, I think. We actually had some decent South Coast surf, as in like proper ground swell and all that. So I headed to Wittering for the Dawn Patrol, one of my best mates. And to our surprise, we absolutely scored it in proper overhead waves and then got out, jumped on a train to London where I met up with Shauna Coxie for a chinwag. A good day, that one, I reckon. The low light, undoubtedly thinking I'd lost my interview with Dave Mailman after an emotional two hours of chat with him. Happily, I found it again, but I won't be forgetting the feeling that I had there in a hurry or Dave's face when I told him that I thought I'd lost it. Sorry again about that, Dave. So yeah, a great year all in all. Looking forward to seeing what 2019 holds. Already I've got great trips to California and Norway planned and I'm pretty stoked to see where my collaboration with Patagonia leads. All that's left to say is massive thanks if you're somebody who supported the podcast and helped me bring it this far. Let's see what 2019 brings us, eh? I'll be back next week with another episode, but in the meantime, hope you enjoyed this one. Have a great Christmas. Nice one. See you later. (laughs) 